The official podcast of Grapple. I'm Beto. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And how are we, lads? How's things? What are we? Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> you know what? You know when you think like 2020 can't get any worse. Um, you know when you, you know when you watched like Charlie Brooker when he did his uh, his yearly wipe uh, the, the pandemic wipe was it? No, what was it called? The uh, vir- anti-viral, anti-viral wipe. Anti-viral wipe. That's it. And you think, fuck me, what a year 2020's been. The simulation just goes into overdrive and things get even fucking worse. Uh, I'd like to ask how your weeks went, lads, but uh, fucking hell, I don't even I don't even know if we can have that conversation. What a world! No, it it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. With what's going on? Yeah. Oh, it's gangs of London. If anyone's interested, but that's not really a, a yeah. It just pales into insignificance with world events and what we're seeing. Sorry, Joe, interrupted. No, I, I, all I've been watching, JP, is videos of uh, the police and uh, protesters in the US. All yep. I can, all I keep, all I seem to watch. Two hours of it last night. I was sat just scrolling through, Same. going, going through various threads, watching BBC News Twenty Four, yep. flicking to Sky News, flicking a bit of Al Jazeera as well, seeing how they were covering it. Uh, and then watching Channel 4 news this evening as well. Mm. Seem to be getting for all the newscasters. Channel 4 has been the best one, by the way. Best reportage, most empathetic coverage as well. Jon Snow with some serious pathos in the way he was delivering the story this evening. And a cracking discussion bit. Channel 4 news, if you want good quality news, that's the one to watch at 7pm on, on weekday evenings. Recommend it. Yeah, I've had I've had a bit of CNN on, which is always a mistake. Like, obviously preferable mm. to Fox as an alternative, but yeah, that's been rough. I, it was literally Saturday night. I stayed in, I watched a film, um, and then lit, uh, it might have been. I say I stayed in. I didn't have any choice to do anything else. But it got to about one in the morning, like which isn't really bedtime for me. But you start thinking about bed, and I probably sat there for about four hours on Saturday night just. I had CNN on and then I turned that off. And to be honest, like probably the worst possible news source, but I had Twitter on and I was just watching videos as they come through on the hashtags and watching the amount of the amount of clips of basically police playing bastards and just mm. awful scenes like across America. Like, oh, it was just, yeah, there was nothing. What, what else? Kept, honestly kept me awake. I think I was, I was up to like five or six, like just watching this stuff and taking this stuff in. I don't think that's healthy, but that's kind of the world we're in right now. Sounds like my night last night as well, Benno. I planned to watch a film. I had the film set up on Amazon Prime, mm. ready to go, and then like someone sent me a link to a video on Twitter, and it was this entire thread. I mean, I sat there scrolling through this thread for two hours, just like, oh, my God, I can't stop watching this stuff. And then I had the news on in the background and was flicking between the various news channels as well. And, yeah, I sort of yeah can't stop watching it and it's just upsetting it's yeah it's horrible it's Mm. absolutely horrible i can't really you know give it any words that are going to add anything to it to be honest with you because the images and uh, kind of speak for themselves let's be honest here but i tell you what i did watch some fox news as well i like to tune into fox news's youtube channel Mm. uh just to see how they report stuff and i tell you what they provide me uh some cracking lesson resources at times as well when you're doing uh 
like bias in like the media and in the news media and mm. looking at objectivity fox like american news is an amazing resource and i used to use loads of bill o'reilly clips it's now more tucker carlson and sean hannity and judge janine Pirro, who's oh a vile, vile person, let's be honest here, as are the rest of them that I've just reeled off. But Tucker Carlson trying to spin this one, my God. Like, you, you, you clutch, they're clutching at straws. They're seriously clutching at straws. And yeah. there was that protest where uh, a load of people were chanting, fuck Fox News, and they were trying to sort of build sympathy for themselves. You're like, ah, oh, like, th- this is going to continue and go on and on and on and on. And you know what? The likes of Rupert Murdoch needs to take a good fucking look at himself and think about what he's done to the world and what he's inflicted upon the world with Trump, Mm. who has shown himself once again to be an absolute fucking disgrace. And one of the things I was wondering, I was chatting to my brother about it last night, is the directive from the police forces. Because you're like, well, someone died from a very violent act. So why are they using violence and charging into various situations? What's the directive here? And then I had that sound clip this evening of uh, Trump telling them to was it basically saying go harder, and they're a bunch of pussies for not going harder and not using more force. When the like, starts, the shooting starts, Joe. That's the lesson. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. But there was a sound clip tonight. There was no video of it. It was just an audio clip that I had, and I was like, of him talking to the governors. I think that's you right. Know, what the actual fuck is going on here? Like, how has he looked at that and gone, ah, oh, this hasn't really worked out right now, he's... you know, using violence. Let's just use more <laughs> violence. Let's ramp it up. He's the worst he possible thinks... person to be in this position. Sorry, JP. Just yeah. like, that, that's been my main take. Like, I, I've probably been guilty in the past of looking at Trump and going, he's disgusting, he's gross, his tactics are horrible. I wouldn't say he's playing 4D chess, but he's got an obvious game plan. Like, his game plan is divisiveness. Like, his game plan mm. is oh, yeah, turn people against culture each other. Culture war. Exactly. And, 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 and his side will rally behind him and he'll win elections with it. That's his entire game plan. So then you find then you find him in this position now, with America as it is, needing, like, a leader to step in, and he's the guy. Like, he is possibly, JP, like, the worst possible like not even possibly i think he is yeah. literally the worst person who could be in this position right now because if anybody's going to unify america it's not going to be him uh he's just he's just going back to his normal playbook doing his normal shitty tweets getting his tweets yeah. um flagged by twitter this week to the point where twitter have to step in you know there's a problem um but not just that just in general there's tone of language the, the things he's saying the things he's instructing you know, the governors to do it's just gross, isn't it? It's just the worst. It's the worst possible scenario. Like twenty twenty, if this was a fucking simulation, I'd turn it off. Like this year, mate. Honestly, it's it's one of the things with Trump is if you look at his administration, he's got away with so much, and he's been able to get away without there being sort of any sort of serious catastrophes, other than ones entirely of his own making, like his impeachment and stuff like that, mm. which is through his own actions, and that was a farce of a trial. And it's almost like everything has come up to this point that when the pandemic kicked in, he kind of wanted that to end. Hmm. And then you see people, you know, obviously this chain of events. And he doesn't really care about how bad it gets. I don't think he gives any semblance of a shit because he thinks he can win an election with 45% of the people and depress the vote in other areas. And what... And I just hope to God that this has some, that, that there is some, uh, you know, that the, 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 
it's almost impossible to say what they do. I mean, I've been reading so much about this, mm-hmm. and we say, you know, series three white British males, and you know, and you're thinking about what what in essence we can do about it. And I, and I found a great link that Jordan Grace had sent across to give it a little wrestling link. And mm. she put it up as saying, here's my new only fans. It's got some great content. And it was a link to a website called it's nice that.com, which basically has a whole list of resources, reading resources, educational materials, interviews, but it also gives you links of where you can donate to as well. And like loads of different articles on that. And it's just a kind of way of, of kind of educating myself, frankly, in a sort of, you know, because this forces kind of a lot of introspection on mm. that front. So th- there's that side of it. And then it's the absolute horror of seeing, I watched Robocop the other night, and <laughs> so much of what you see there is policemen geared up like Robocop. Wow. Except Robocop is provoking the fight. Every single time, always provoking it. And then you compare it with the reaction to the protesters who went to places like Lansing, Michigan, because Mm. they couldn't get a fucking haircut. So had to bring an AK-47 to where legislators and police stand there and do nothing and absolutely take it. And there's images of people shouting in their faces. Nothing like that at all. Whereas for these set of protests, they were geared up for a fight. And by God, that's what they've done. And the amount of footage you see, journalists being attacked yeah you know being arrested watching footage uh, you know people being tasered in their cars oh that was that uh, really shook me up that one. Oh, oh my god to me god up. like and it's just absolutely horrific and but the media yeah. are culpable here as well jp so you know oh, they, yeah. they deserve the beating as well because you know it's all fake news and the media are bad and they're they're misreporting this obviously and <laughs> you know we need to take the media down as well because you know they're they're the worst and you know that's that's an extension of a culture war isn't it divisive media and you look at someone like a like a dominic cummings and to bring it back onto british politics we'll probably return to where we were but you look at some of his writing and you look at his writing on like the bbc that goes back to like 2004 in one of his shitty right-wing think tanks that he was running at the time that ultimately failed and he's talking about how we need to get rid of the license we get rid of the bbc and we need to install a network like a fox news here to help the conservatives rally so we can start a culture war in the uk so there's more divisiveness in the uk and it's like right this is it was sort of happening and brexit to me was kind of the example of that and i'm hoping that after he's kind of you know shown that he is one of the fucking elite when he likes to rail against the elite constantly that uh, hopefully we can kind of i don't know be a bit more united as a country and get a much nicer government in four years time and hopefully this will be like the black wednesday moment of the major government and we'll be remembered uh, in four years time if we'll go to the ballot box let's hope so but yeah the whole culture war stuff and the way it's clearly used as a tactic is what scares me and to go one step over the culture war i just hope obama comes out of the next couple of days and says something, fully endorses Biden. Oh, he did. Yeah, he, he wrote did. a quite long article today. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I haven't on seen Medium. that. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, I'll have a, to have a look. it's an excellent read about kind of practically what people can do in this situation. And oh, ec- oh, right. And, he, and, he, and he'd endorsed Biden as well. I think he's gearing up for the election trial. 
um, Excellent. entirely. Excellent. This, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. This is what I was saying to you, wasn't it, yesterday, JP, when we were mm-hmm. talking about this. And if Michelle can get on board as well, that'll be a bonus. And then hopefully we can get rid of this absolute cunt uh, and banish him to where he deserves to fucking be. Because right now... Yeah, he deserves to be in a fucking bunker, not a bunker below the White House. If it was a bunker, I'd like it to be that bunker below Berlin where Hitler fucking topped himself when the (laughs) Russians dragged his body out uh, after they basically got into Berlin in, what, 1945? Was it 1944 or 1945? Must have been 45. Can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, But, yeah, let's have that. And another thought of mine as well on this was, you know what? The next American election, I'd like to fix elections. This is an election I'd love to fix. And do you know I'd like to be the only people who can vote in this election in November 2020? Go on. The jury who decided the OJ case, wouldn't that be fucking great? Because you know you're not getting a a second term for Trump if those lot come back. (laughs) Part two. That's what we need. Fuck me. (laughs) It's... It's... yeah. I'd follow that, JP. <laughs> oh, I can't. Can't at Can all. Cuba Gooden Jr. Um, do the TV remake? Sorry, not the time. Anyway. Uh, oh, mate, I'd be well up. I'd be into that. Don't you worry. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's fucking just, like, it's hard to watch at this point. Like, and if, like, it is. If, if any of our listeners are those All Lives Matter people, I'll comfortably tell them to fuck off because that's another, like, that. Back to wrestling. Like, how many people have you seen, JP? Like, to the point where Randy Orton, of all people, now understands what Black Lives Matter means. Yeah. And what it means Did is... Did he Black... not before? No, he, he was an All Lives Matter person. And now he was like, yeah, I kind of get it because what it means is, well, Black Lives don't seem like they matter. And we're reinforcing that, no, Black Lives do matter, which is what the, the hashtag means. It doesn't mean anyone else's life doesn't matter. Like, if Randy Orton can get his head around that... If you're one of the people who's replying to his tweets going, no, Randy, all lives matter. Or you're one of those people responding to celebrities, wrestling people, politicians, whoever it is, with that nonsense. Like, I don't think there's any hope for you as a human being. Like I say, if Randall Keith Orton gets it, then I don't know. I don't think there's an excuse for anybody else on earth. The fact, it's fascinating. I mean, because I think that all lives matter movement has kind of been obliterated it's kind of just trolls now isn't it which is what Trump it is just it is just trolls and bots Mm. and the rest of it which is the most infuriating thing at the moment because it's so obvious for what it is but um like there's been I, I don't know there seems to be like a massive like kind of education lesson because I was thinking a lot about this that part of the issue that goes on in the states and it goes on over here is that we don't teach about our past do we we no. don't teach about Ireland. colonialism and the effects of it Ireland I had to learn I learned a lot about Ireland when I was doing GCSE and my history teacher his brother played for the Republic of Ireland his right. name was John Byrne he scored a lot of goals played Liverpool in the uh, FA Cup final I think in 91 his brother was good what, as well Sun- no that's not Sun- Sunderland yeah, was Sunderland. It? that was 92 yeah, Michael Thomas scored. Yeah, his brother, Rory Byrne, talking. Good bloke. When you played football against him, I know it's obviously completely off topic, he used a fucking leveller and he wasn't scared to do that against people who were like 15 and 16. Roy Keane like, style, mate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very Roy Keane style. He had more of a smile on his face. Were you playing and, like and students like versus teachers track. or something? Is what, is what this was? Like, 
he would just join in. He would just join in when we had games on, and he was yeah. We like, had oh, teachers doing that. It was always yeah. quite good fun. Oh. You, uh, we, me and JP probably couldn't do that. But well, yeah, we, we, we did that. We did like a teachers versus kids one where like this. I'm sorry, completely aside, this technology teacher <laughs> yeah. who I hated, like I was playing in defence and he was a front and I marked him out the game and it was one of the best moments of my life. But anyway, that doesn't matter, sorry, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, well, one of the things he did is he taught us about effectively Irish history and he was quite open in saying there was a lot of it that wasn't necessarily, it was covered in the most bare bones detail in terms of 1916. Yeah. And, but then... And then he also, obviously, he said, like, that's the one that I know about mm. for, for family reasons. But then here is India. You know, here is here is the, the West Indies. Here are part, you know, Africa. And you kind of, these aren't things that we learn. And I only think it's kind of younger generations now who, who are kind of, thank God, kind of open their eyes to it. But you can see the real generational divide mm. in terms of people's attitudes towards their country. And it's the kind of stuff that, like a lot of people have railed at and it feels like this is like a a culmination of of people's vo you know black people's voices that actually that need to be heard and need to be heard above everybody else's yes i think that's an interesting point you make as well there jp because i think me and you try and do the best job we can with younger people when it comes mm. to questions around various issues that they might not be that informed on like uh, in our place of work we are meant to be politically neutral. Yeah, that's... Try being me in that position. <laughs> Imagine if we tried um, to be politically neutral on this podcast. I'm sure some people want that, but it's not oh, happening. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, like me and JP will make an effort to try and educate on... We'll try and enrich young, young people when it comes to, like, just pointing out little things they might not know about or giving them a bit more information. I was chatting to my girlfriend earlier, actually, about this, because... She was making the point about um, various comments she's seen from various people on social media. And I said, what I hope from this is because a lot of people are going to get stuck in a vacuum of, and I got stuck in that vacuum, of just watching these violent acts, these horrible acts on social media. Yep. But I really hope that people don't get just stuck in that vacuum and they actually use it as an, op as an opportunity. And that sounds awful to say this is an opportunity because it's... it's the worst opportunity possible in many ways, or the worst kind of time for this opportunity to occur. But just educate yourselves a little bit more in this and the history of this. I think this is going to sound awful in a way, but as people, we are kind of at a weird advantage here because of our interest in like American culture and American media mm. and how far back that goes. You think about like interest in music, interest in films and stuff like that as well. You, you do end up enriching, I suppose, your knowledge around such issues as what's going on right now and yeah. have a more well-rounded kind of understanding to some extent of what is going on and why it's going on. And, you know, I'm hoping people just take a look at... We did civil rights when we were at school. Well, I was at college. I wasn't at college. So you, you understand this about, like, 1968. And I think about, like, 92 and the Rodney King stuff. Like, that was stuff that I learned about through listening to hip-hop, basically. Yeah, same. And then would see in, like, films that I would watch afterwards. Yeah. And, you know... The context it's... in which they're made, isn't it? Yeah. And this is where I'll always say, like... I've learned more from watching films, listening to music and watching TV shows than I have anything, <laughs> like <laughs> anything. Honestly, that's how my mind works. That's what's, you know, helped me to understand things. I just hope people kind of do some reading around the subject and actually try and kind of just 
understand a little bit more about what is going on and why this is going on. It's a bit of a roundabout way to say in a way, but what I would what I'd honestly recommend if anyone's looking for someone to watch, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I keep thinking of it. Watch Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee film from 1989. Like It's amazing, but also really sad how relevant it still is now. Mm. And the points it makes, it makes points that are very relevant to the current situation throughout the film but the the final scene in particular is kind of what is going on now in a bit of a microcosm yeah. if anything and i just keep thinking of that scene constantly it keeps going through my head and the the owner of the pizza parlor is almost in the position of the cops in a way but it, he's a really interesting character at the si- same time and yeah i really recommend watching that and giving a given the song at the beginning of the show that was written for the film a listen as well yeah yeah, I think that was always going to be the intro to this podcast, wasn't it? Uh, if oh, anyone yeah. knows us. But yeah, fucking incredible film as well. I'm going to I'm gonna rewatch it this weekend, to be honest. Um, odd thing to do, but yeah, it just feels timely, doesn't it? Um, no yeah, better time to rewatch it. To be honest, and that's, the, that's another... Rap music's massive in like educating me on stuff like this. Like Public Enemy, even like down to The Chronic, which is a silly Dr. Dre album about smoking weed. Uh, that JP might enjoy. Oh, it's fucking uh, right. <laughs> and N- N- W A. It's a very right, good album. Uncomped. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, there's tracks on there. I believe, like, I think Anonymous were, were like hacking speakers and getting fucked the police playing out, like, uh, at, like various things this weekend as well. Rap music's important for this stuff. Ice T taught me about gangs and about racism. Like, yeah, it's it is weird the way you have to pick these things up. And yeah, you know, to your point, JP, you just made about like Irish history. Like, I. I will say for most English people, we don't get taught that stuff. Like, I don't remember it ever coming up in my school, like ever. Obviously, you had a personal connection as did, as did your teachers, so it came up. But it's not; it wasn't in the curriculum. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. it blows your mind and when that, you do learn about like what the British did to the Irish and you know things like that in our history. And it and it goes across the board. It mm. goes for colonialism across the board, doesn't it? But then mm. I I can I, I wonder if it is the same thing in the states because a lot of times oh, education educational becomes a very political aspect and there are cases where you know in terms of the kind of education and the things that are covered in classes tend at times not to cover sort of incendiary events no um, the most famous one is the 1921 tulsa um it's just the thing from watchman the thing from watchman yeah that the, was something that was like our race our, riot right well, it, well essentially it was like the ku klux klan burnt down what was known as black wall street yeah yeah it's seen and the te- he got the idea because Tenahasi Coates wrote a book about it. Right, yeah. A lot of people, are like, I was having a chat in one of my group chats yesterday. I recommended a few of my mates watch Watchmen and they watched it and were like, thanks for the recommendation, loved it. And they were all saying when we were chatting about it, they had no idea about that race riot. Mm. I didn't either. I don't, think, I don't know anyone who did before they watched it. So yeah, Watchmen is another show that I highly recommend if you're looking for something uh, sort of around the sort of subject that's sort of currently dominating the news headlines and the sort of world media at the moment. I was going to say as well, uh, on the subject of sort of what's taught in schools, mm. I've, I have a real problem with like the history curriculum as well. Because I think back when I was at school, yeah, I learned about World War Two, but it was done in this kind of get, sort of through the guise of two World Wars and one World Cup. Yeah. And you look at the trickle-down effect to sort of generations and how that really permeates. Uh, like, I'd say that generation is just that little bit older than us. Mm. And, like, I get it to some extent because, you know, my granddad was a 
was fighting in World War Two. I was on the beaches in Normandy, so I get like my dad's personal connection to that. But I think he gets quite upset that maybe I sort of questioned some of this stuff. Mm. So I sort of get it from that point of view. But I do think there needs to be a complete reconsideration of how we teach this stuff in schools and the way we were talking about social media last week. But at the same time, where we've got a Tory government, the most important things to learn about are maths really heavy science really heavy uh, english stuff like syntaxes and stuff that you're never going to need anywhere in life and we should just carry on down that route and we should push everyone toward we should push the smartest and the most intelligent towards uh, sick form and then a russell group university and just fuck up all the rest and maybe try and pretend to fight an apprenticeship so we can build up a workforce so we can pay a low wage to keep uh, the economy sort of going i suppose in some way yeah anyway sorry there's my <laughs> next political rant for you that's all right joe the schools are all open now everything's fine you know the businesses are opening the premier league's about to start up again i might be able to go get a haircut you know everything's fine compared to america the premier league. Great, aren't we? no oh my god <laughs> no, premier league feels like and i know for joe it's worse because his girlfriend's had to go back to work today has she um, well i didn't realize that yeah either. We're in a kind of fortunate position where we don't need to go in necessarily for lessons, given the kind of different sort of job that we have. Right. But at the, at the same time, we can just about kind of get that. But I, I've spent the weekend um, seeing people also sort of their lockdowns over. Absolutely fucked. No, um, it's bad. Like there's a river that goes through Oxford and you could see people kind of like diving uh like just having a big it's just like a big bloody party and i think joe cycled over that same bridge oh i did mate barbecues on the go rave music blaring out it's like loads of lads with their tops off (laughs) the kind of lads that when i would when i drive past in the car and i got the tops off i give them a little beep and be like oh cracking body mate just to see what the reaction is objectifying (laughs) them that's what they usually do (laughs) they get they I get... think we've both seen him do this. I've seen him do this a few times to the point I'm not surprised. Oh, mate, I love it. They get so larry and so angry and often yeah. start chasing the car. And it's so it's so immature on my part. But I, fi- I, find, I find it so funny. It's amazing. Because the, the, the kind of like the go-to reaction when hearing something from a car is to get angry in their mind. And I, I, I find people's reactions hilarious. <laughs> and it's something that, oh, I'll, it's, it's ridiculous. And I shouldn't do it. I know I shouldn't do it. But it'll it's always get a rise out like, of it. It's brilliant. Mate, I'm, I'm complimenting them. I'm saying, you know, you've got a cracking <laughs> body, showing it off in the sun. Fair play to you. Wish I had a body like that. I've got pale, pasty, horrible body on me so, going on. You know? yeah. yeah, like good on, good on the lads getting a good tan. But no, they don't take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that round here. I went for a, like I've, I've been copying JP doing the uh, the couch to 5k. So I went for a run around uh, Stanley Park tonight. I know I noticed you on Strava. On I the am, court, mate. I've, I've joined the cult, mate. Uh, I feel like I feel like I'm not like up to Strava levels yet, but I'm getting myself there. Somehow I did I did do a 10k last year, but I almost died. So I thought I'm going to do this properly and go on the app. Although today when I was running around the park. The app must have crashed in the background because I was running for about five minutes and I was like, I'm sure I'm supposed to be taking a break now. And I just kept yeah. going, so I'm fucking, especially knackered tonight, but I'll be doing a 5K in no time. Uh, but yeah, I was running around and the part was just full of just lads with the tops off and 
gangs of kids all together and stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's over. Like this this is just the world we live in now. We're gonna, the deaths are gonna go up. It's gonna we're just gonna we're gonna keep calm. We're gonna carry on. The Premier League's gonna come back. I'm not even bothered Football's about that to be honest. I'm not. You know what? Oh, like, no, sorry. At least they're getting fucking tested. You know what I mean? They're not. I mean, it's it's low on my list of things that I'm bothered about. Um, but like, it, it's the teachers going back to work that that bothers me, and the kids going back to school. Like I saw, I can't remember who it was was talking about it today, but like. I don't know what I'd do. Like, JP, if you had the choice, would you be sending your kids back to school at this point? I don't think I would. It's fucking my, the whole thing's nuts. They're talking about my, my eldest son going in in two weeks because he would be doing GCSEs next year. And that, for them, is the important thing in terms of the transition. So they're talking about it. Now, it's not stuff I can necessarily go into, but I kind of there's a sort of role I do at my college where I kind of have to look into the kind of reopening stuff. It's you know part of union work basically, and so I'm kind of very au fait about what the restrictions are, and effectively you'd be opening it up to what might be about sort of a very big place up for about sort of fifty people. But do I feel comfortable? No. And is there any guarantee? No. And I've got the masks and gloves, and we're around at Tesco's tonight. People didn't give a shit, and it's. Like and I was in there with him, and it's just like, oh my god! And you might have to go to school in two weeks. It's going to be very hard to imagine, like all of them kind of keeping it together. It just feels like it's kind of over, really. Mm. And the staggering of it out—that's, you know, it's kind of a sop as much as anything else. But yeah, I've I've got very very sort of bad vibes, pandemic vibes, pandemic wise for sort of August and September. God help mm. us when it gets a bit colder. There, the, the other such cheery news that never <laughs> seems to go away from our lives. It's proper upbeat podcast, this, isn't it's it? It's what we do, isn't it? Was, it's, how, it's how we, we do this. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we've, we've come a long way since covering the Chris Travis uh, Invitational Tax yeah. Tournament and Attack, haven't we? Yeah, I think in terms of tangents, this is possibly the most tangents we've ever gone on in an opening plot. <laughs> Half an hour of this podcast, yeah, maybe? I, I can make it wrestling related because like, my point of the Premier League was going to be, you know you said there, Joe, that you don't care. Do you mean you don't care about the Premier League or you don't care about the players? Because I think wrestling's had a real impact on... It's like I feel like I've been beaten down. Like At first, I was out, I'm was i still outraged at the WWE running shows and they're not testing people at all. AW, I've started testing people and I feel a bit more comfortable with that now. The Premier League's going to be running and I feel probably more comfortable with that gcw we're gonna apparently they're coming back in june as well uh just in time for my birthday like june the 20th something like that they're coming back and doing a, a, an outdoor show where they're gonna do social distancing and stuff like yeah i, I don't know I've, I've i think i've lost the ability to get angry gcw doing social distancing i know i know i know their fans as well especially apparently there's gonna be standard room the, the entrance you, social distance <laughs> you can bring your own chairs so it's fine you know no one's gonna go up to the gauge and slap us out yeah that's that's probably rife with problems blood um, <laughs> yeah i know it's outdoor as well so they're gonna do death matches aren't they you know what they're like like yeah. they're not gonna be able to help oh, into um wh park yesterday doing um history and noah with pollock on post mm. really good listen recommend it and he was talking about the return of big japan and how they had a like light tube death matches on their return how disgusted he was i was like 
you know, carry on WH. Fucking right. What's wrong with this big Japan? But they're like, well, we're big Japan, so we must have light tubes and we must have people bleeding everywhere during a global pandemic. I'll like, join you in the anti-death match march if they do that. I will genuinely joke like that. that oh, is, much, that's much a much step appreciate. too far. Even for me, yeah. that's a step too far, to be honest. Um, what you, you watch these boneheads in the crowd eating up, though, mate. Thing is, <laughs> they've been thirsty for fucking blood for a while. The match of the month. I watched a really good Big Japan Junior match they had on. And obviously, oh, they've got those big lads in their division as well in their mm. in Oh, yeah, they've got some good division. guys there. Yep. Do they need the death match stuff? Mm. Really? GCW probably well, don't, what, to be that honest. That's what WH was saying mm. when, when he was on yesterday. That's mm. what he was saying. I was I'll like, have a listen yeah. Do they need the death matches? Because, like with GCW, I've, I've obviously, at this podcast, got the highest tolerance for it. Like, and it doesn't bother me. But from a purely Brandon point of view, do, do the death matches actually? Is that what draws people to GCW anymore? Surely it's the Ginella stuff See, and the meme stuff and the you know the the big indie matches. Like I, for, for match of the month as well, I watched the uh, the David Starr Chris Dickinson match from January, which was one of the best US indie matches I've seen in a good long while. That's the stuff that draws people in, isn't it? I hope that outdoor show is more of that stuff and not the not the death match style. Um, I don't know. If it was CZW and that farm in Delaware, mm. which which no doubt CJ DJ Hyde CJ DJ Hyde has got no sort of um, has got no qualms probably about holding <laughs> Cage of Death, would he? Or Tournament of Death? Oh yeah, CZW will be back before you know it. In the Cage of Death outside, fuck it, why not? Uh, but yeah, I was going to say I don't, on all that stuff. Does, does it bother you at this point? Like, I, the only thing that bothers me is WWE not testing people. Really, I've, I've kind of, I, I don't know what it is. Whether it's been beaten out of me or what. Like I say, the Premier League. I'm like, you know what? I wish it was in July. I wish it was in August. But I'm going to be watching it with everybody else. Am I just a hypocrite? It's the same with the wrestling. You know, we railed on AEW. I watched the pay per view last week. You know, are we part of the problem? I don't even know. Well, I know that I'll end up watching some games, mm. but I'll watch the games that I can turn my TV on, and they're on. I've got BT Sport, but I've got the like online version, and I've got yeah. to watch it on my laptop, and I've got to plug my TV into the into the. Uh, I've got sorry, I've got to plug my laptop into the TV. Yeah. I'm like, oh fuck that, that's effort. Like, I'm gonna watch the. Who's games logging is it, Joe? It's mine. Oh, okay, okay. I used to be stepdads, yeah. I'll admit that. <laughs> it's a phone, um, it's a got, phone They use my Netflix, thing, it? it's all right. Yeah, yeah, I've got BT internet, so I've got, oh, I've got okay. it through that. Good it was, it's free for the first 12 months, I think, and then like four quid after for the next 12 or so. It's pretty cheap, but I, I, I can't be bothered to go to that effort to watch <laughs> games in front of no one. Like I watched some Bundesliga highlights last week Oh yeah, and was like, eh, like, yeah, okay, this first half looks more intense than I thought it might have been. But at the same time, I just can't get excited about this. You know, the ga- the four games that are on Amazon and the four games on the BBC, I'll watch. Because I can switch on a TV, press a couple of buttons, and it's there. But I'm not getting a Sky Pass on my Now TV, and I couldn't give a fuck about that. Like, it's games being played in front of no one to end a season so that clubs can survive. Big clubs and get their TV money, basically. And there'll be a dispute after that as well, because, you know, those games have gone onto Amazon that weren't meant to go there, and those games have gone to the BBC that weren't meant to go there. So whether the TV companies would be too happy about losing eight games, yeah, I wonder. But at the same time, would they have been broadcasting those anyway? I don't know, because since they're broadcasting every game, I'm not sure. Who knows? It's difficult because Sky need the Premier League. They Mm. really need the Premier League. I think Sky does. All they have. Mm. 
Next mm, time a TV it. deal comes up, I think Amazon go for broke. And and mm. honestly, the Premier League was the thing that made Sky. I think it's going to lose the Premier League is going to end Sky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At least the sports. Like, who who's going to subscribe to watch Sky One and yeah, Sky Movies true. at this point? Other than my mum, I don't know anyone who would. Um, would you be any more interested in the footy, Joe, if they have a load of? Uh, under 16s in the crowd just being drones like an episode of Black Mirror and cheering and booing on command. Do you think that would help at all? No? (laughs) 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 They might do that, you know. I could see them. Vince is a trendsetter. The the entire sports world's going to copy Vince up, man. You, You watch. They're going to have like all, all the JPs under 21 boys in the uh, in the front row of the Gladys Street, in the front row of the Emirates. It's going to happen. Troy Parrott at White Hart Lane. <laughs> Maybe that's the way. If, if anything, though, if they get lively, if it's a derby game and they're sat just behind the benches making noise, they can give each other a bit of grief as well at the same time. You've got the semblance of some kind of atmosphere mm. and probably a lot of entertaining swearing as a kind of dual commentary. Oh, no, they've been talking the about to swear, haven't they? Ah, they're not supposed to celebrate yeah, either, but the Germans are still doing it. Oh, good on Sancho yesterday it's, as well. It's at uh, moments like that. this, you, it's at moments like this you wish Roy Keane still played, don't you? <laughs> really? Oh, actually, like, I'll tell you what I will end up watching, because he'll be doing punditry for Sky, and oh, they'll, put yeah. the, they'll put the clips on their YouTube channel. I'll end up watching the pun tree because it'll be just kicking off and i get i think i get more entertainment out of roy Keane in a studio with some other lads than i do watching <laughs> actual football these days which is kind of tragic have but you t- listened to the peter crouch podcast and the whole can i have a photo that's what roy i was about thing. to say yeah yeah that's oh. there's two twitter accounts i followed this week jp that one and the Steve Mon- What Will Mongo Do Next Steve McMichael account that we definitely oh. need to talk to. But the, the Roy Keane one's great where it's just like, it's literally, he's like, that it'll be a photo of them with Roy, Queen and Roy Keane and the quote will be something like, hurry up and take the picture, will you lads? How many of you need to take the picture? The fucking state of that shirt. Like, it's just brilliant. And you know it's all real. It's Roy Keane, isn't it? It's got to be real. There was a great story that one of them told me. It didn't result in a photo and it was some guy, he'd gone out for a walk. He sees Roy walking his dog the new dog, and he says to him, you're right, mate, can I have a photo? To which Roy just replies, I'm not your fucking mate, and walks <laughs> off. And you just go, that's, that's Roy. He what's is. The, what's the new dog called, JP? I don't know. Uh. I don't know. Like, I know Jamesy and Will Cooling are two other people who've got this keen, like, kind of Roy Keen watching thing of just <laughs> oh, keeping yeah. an eye of what he's up to. I, I, it's a good club to be in that one and rest <laughs> in peace Triggs it's a sad day to know that uh, his dog yeah. that made so many appearances during the 2002 World Cup <laughs> is no longer with us really sad he used, what a dog he, he used to get pissed off because he assumed that people did all I thought he, he, something a quote along the lines of all people think I do is walk the fucking dog or something <laughs> like that which is Roy, because he has to throw in a swear word. In his um, first book, he talks a hell of a lot about walking that dog. I was reading his first book as my in English at school. We had to like have a book to read for the first fifteen minutes of lessons, and you were meant to have like some literature. And I was reading Roy Keane's autobiography, and I started like getting into arguments with the teacher because she said it wasn't like educational enough for me. I don't know what she wanted me to. Eamon Dunphy. Bollocks. Mate, you probably wanted me to be reading like Catcher in the Rye or something, or you know, The Great Gatsby, like books <laughs> I've never read. I'm not going to lie, I'm not Posh, a big literature man. Posh um, people in love, mate. What's not to get on with? 
Exactly, exactly. Right up my street, that, you know, especially, uh, you know, the t- period setting and all that. You know what I'm into. <laughs> but I was just reading about Roy kicking some ass. I remember being really angry when he said that on the way back from Saipan, when he got kicked out of the World Cup squad, he had a Heineken and he sat back to watch Trading Day, which he heard was great. <laughs> he was disappointed and didn't like it and thought Denzel Washington's performance was overrated. I was like, oh, <laughs> Great film. <laughs> oh. I want to see film reviews with Roy Keane. No, that's that's what we need. That's what the world needs. Oh. Oh. Mate, uh, if 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 OTT could get him in for some kind of an angle, that that would be something. Bring him in for problematic pro wrestling, JP. There you go. There's a hook. <laughs> He's not really problematic. He's um, kind of is. He's, I mean, he's, a little bit. He's a contrary. Yes, but I'll, I'll always laugh at him. And it's the way that he goes from like being on an eye. It's the way he looks generally quite aggressive and angry to kind of laughing and just the sheer willpower of Ian Wright to just laugh kind of at him. And every time it's like Gary Neville's on tender hooks because he sees Roy saying something and he just see Neville start to smirk. And he's like, oh, hello, here we go. When he's kicking up, like there was some, I was watching clips of it. He got pissed off because Luke Shaw was wearing a woolly hat. And he was like, you know, two hours ago, I thought we were going to win. And now all of a sudden, you know, Willie Hats, tattoos, girlfriends, I don't like it. And it was all that kind of stuff. And that probably sounds awful, by the way. But like, he, and, he was, and he was pissed off about it. And I thought, oh, never change, Roy. <laughs> that might go a camp though, JP. <laughs> on a wrestling fight. That was good. Have you seen yeah. any of that? Did, you, did that convince you to sign back up to Twitter with that stuff, Joe? Because you, you love a good, uh, a good Mongo clip. With I've him, not uh, watched it yet. Oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid to say, but oh, I, will, I will give it a watch. People should follow it where it's uh, what will Mongo do next? And it's just like Steve McMichael's worst clips in WCW where he's just lost in the middle of the ring. He's got two left feet. Like there's one where he's trying, he's got like Sting in the corner and Sting's clearly oh. trying to make him tag his, on Anderson or somebody. And he just forcibly picks him up and then body slams him onto the ropes and then kind of makes the tag half-hearted it's a there's so many little clips like that where he just he's got no idea where he is in the ring i think your point about him being one of the best bad wrestlers of all time is absolutely oh, yeah. the case like it's brilliant like i want to watch a mongo comp tape now of all the uh, all the different uh, botches he's done through his career well it sounds like this twitter account is about as good as it will get when it comes to a mongo botch <laughs> that's now, true actually I'll- I'll definitely give that a watch. It reminds me, I need to get around to watching um, the ESPN 30 for 30 on the 85 Bears at some point as well. Because apparently Mongo oh, is all over that 30 for 30. Which, yeah, if you want some Mongo, it sounds like it's well worth watching. I did watch, uh, where am I going with this? It's not even worth talking about, but I'll talk about it anyway. Because we're going to talk the about Days the of Thunder podcast will be very happy about that. They're big <laughs> Mongo fans. Oh, the yeah. Big- if you want a 30 for 30 recommendation past uh, after the Jordan documentary, I went back and watched Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks, oh. last week, which is maybe my favourite. I think it was the first 30 for 30 I ever yeah. watched. It's still awesome. Reggie Miller's great. Spike Lee is fucking amazing on there. He's a proper great heel, him and John Starks. Worth your time. Anyway, wrestling. What, what the fuck is wrestling? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to talk wrestling, Joe. We did, I mean, I alluded to it then with the with the zombie crowds. We made you watch uh, the NXT fight pit this week. I say major. We, we kind of did a little bit. Uh, you did watch it in the end? We did. We did yeah, we did, we did, I, we did I, I had a massive shit yesterday morning <laughs> and it passed the time while I was doing that. Oh, we should talk about that. We've got to talk about AEW in a bit as well. Uh, catch up on the Owen Hart uh, talk we didn't get to do last week. But go on, let's start there from a wrestling point of view. 
Like, what did you make of it? Did you enjoy the match at least, or was the WWE presentation too much? Because the WWE presentation was right. shite. The match itself, fine, right? This fight pit, and I couldn't make my mind up about it. I might have to see another one. It was okay. Um, I didn't like the scaffold bit necessarily, but you know what? They there were some decent spots around it. Um, I watched it and thought to myself, "Why the fuck is this guy not your world champion? What the fuck is wrong with that meathead Brock Lesnar? Like, he's got some serious fucking problems if he can't see something in Matt Riddle, and you know." If he thinks that this guy's crap because he smokes weed, then he needs to kind of sort his shit out and, you know, put the stake down for a bit and maybe, you know, sit back and have a token to join himself and chill out a bit and see that Riddle is the fucking future, but he's got to allow him to be the future at this point in time. But, you know, if Brock doesn't like you, he's not going to give you any time, is he? Look at Kofi Kingston. Look at Ricochet. It's kind of a theme there as well that I'm alluding to with what's going on in the world right now as well. But I don't want to get done for any sort of libelous claim there, so I won't say any more. But you guys can have a think about that one. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was watching this thinking, this is all right. It's fine. Um, this is the height of Timothy Thatcher's career in WWE. Um, can't see it getting any better than this. Um Riddle had some great fiery moments in there, I thought, mm. where he just showed that charisma. Those strike exchanges were fucking awesome at different points of it. And I just thought, God, I love Matt Riddle. Just what a, what a great bloke Same. and what a great wrestler. And it's a shame he's going to end up on that main roster. And he's going to debut in front of no fans. And he's going to look like a geek. And he's going to get squashed. And he's going to have to go through kind of mid-card hell for the next couple of years and he's going to speak out at some point and get himself in trouble and end up probably where Sami Zayn is and it's tragic um but yeah it was fine but that that's all kind of I've got to say on the match to be honest with you sorry I I was a big fan of it to be honest like I we talked about it on BWE a little bit and Jamesy I think he was saying he preferred the the previous match which I haven't seen on NXT TV Mm -hmm. but I did like it it felt very there's a lot of ways we can mention in a minute that it's very WWE in its presentation, specifically the crowd and some other things they couldn't help but do. Like the the thing where they knocked his teeth out. I've seen people go, go on about how great that was and that just felt to me like just WWE, some agent backstage, like a Shawn Michaels or somebody overthinking it and adding a, a spot that didn't need to be there. Because the actual realistic grappling stuff I really enjoyed... I enjoyed the stuff where they used the structure and they ended up on the top and they were, they were fighting up there and doing submissions off the side of it. Like, as far as, like, a WWE setting, I think it's as good as you can probably expect for a Tim Thatcher. I thought Riddle, was, as you said, I thought Riddle was great in it. It was, like, the, uh, as charismatic as he, as he normally is. I thought Thatcher, the best parts of his personality were when we've been in WXW and we've seen him bring out, you know, that angry face and that passion and that, mm. that Tim Thatcher that, like... I probably wouldn't have known existed until I started going to Germany. Getting to see that on WWE TV. I, I, well, unfortunately, it is on WWE TV. But getting to see it on TV, if you know what I mean, and the world getting to see it, I thought it was as good a presentation as you could probably get from WWE with the two wrestlers involved. There was the stuff around the match I didn't like, but yeah, I think I'm definitely a lot higher on it than Joe. Where were you on it, JP? I liked it as well. Although I had two big problems with it. One was the teeth spot, because that took too long. Yeah. And then there was an ad break and it wasn't like you had stuff seeing in between it. And that kind of took me out of the flow of it. I like the, I like the concept of it. It's interesting. I, kind I like of, the cage. It, it's interesting. There are lots of possibilities. I like the fact there was no rope breaks. Mm. I thought that was more interesting. And it, and so I found that like the kind of pace when they were going in there with the strikes and they were laying it in, 
there was stuff about the finish. I like because he kind of knew why they were doing that finish because Riddle's moving to the main, to the main roster. I thought what I've seen of Thatcher in NXT has been surprisingly good. Mm. And these are only sort of like brief clips and stuff, but as good as you can expect anyone to be at this sort of point. To the to the stage where they're kind of building him up as like what is basically their credible shooter yeah. for the division is what is what he's what he's kind of aimed at. Which they'll but probably lose interest in once they get fans in a building, unfortunately. Well, it works right now ca- with no crowd. The key is as well is that it was quick. Is mm. that it actually overall it didn't really drag. It's whether or not it goes down a twenty minute kind of like working holds fest because at that stage you're going to get a kind of very different reaction but as a concept fine the crowd i think are awful i think they do a shit job joe mentioned big swollen in a couple of weeks she should be signed for this period of time alone if they'd had a (laughs) a chance because she'd be g'ing them up because it's and joe had mentioned it uh, earlier on the week but it was like the Kurt Angle entrance mm. when he was coming out to be the special guest referee. Mm. I mean, honestly to God, it was absolutely bleak. Like you could have had rather than a, the kind of his normal music theme, entrance music from a film. I always go back to it. Him coming out to that with like people just chanting, you suck because it felt awful. <laughs> I was looked to, yeah. Zombies. It felt like he was, coming out of like IWA Mid-South or something in front of one of their sparse crowds. It was like uh, Angle making this like like Mickey Rourke in the wrestler style indie appearance in front of no fans, but it was in WWE about a month after he'd been released from his contract. Oh, that's... It's all tough. a bit odd, and I just thought you could just have his music and not have people doing the You Suck chant. Like, can't help themselves. You can't, like, they can't. They you can't. can't you can adapt and change things up. Not mm. everything needs to always just be the same way. But hey, it's WWE, and to expect them to think in that way is, uh, you know, too much, really, isn't it? Let's be honest here. <laughs> uh, a yeah. good apolitical company like that lot. Oh yeah, they can't. They can't. Like, you know, it, it probably killed them to take this idea from AEW. Like, it killed them to what? What was the other thing they did? Though it was changing the uh, the hard cam, wasn't it, to, to face the entrance way, which is what AEW did first as well. This one they've really drugged the feet on, and you just knew when they did it, they'd have to put a WWE spin on it. And I hadn't watched Raw that week, so I I'd, I'd saw the stories about them all having to stand for seven hours and, and stand there and cheer all day, which you can joke about and go, "Hang on, we do that when you know, or at, you know, I know you guys haven't been recently, but when we've gone to like Carrot Weekends." you know you might be standing for that amount of time although you do actually have the option to sit and you're not treated like a slave who has to stand there and cheer and boo constantly like it's the most mechanical wwe way of doing it I mean, you should obviously we should all expect it at this point but it just made me laugh so much just just see it i, I described it on bw we talking about it. it's like it is to me it, it was like an episode of black mirror where there are all these pod people and they're behind like these fucking glass screens and they're basically little avatars who cheer and boo on command and do the you suck chant on command and like it couldn't come i liked that there was a bit more noise it it, it did still help but like they couldn't help but do it in the lamest way possible, in the most fake way possible. Like, they might as well have just piped in Smackdown Pops at the point that they were doing it the way they were doing it. It was just, yeah, it's just the most WWE thing of all time. Yeah, I, I, watching it, I just thought, ah, there, there's a difference because in AEW, it all felt organic. 
Here it doesn't feel organic. Here it feels forced and manufactured, but everything they do feels forced and manufactured. Nothing's genuine in that company. Mm. Everything is, you know, in its own fucking universe, to <laughs> use a WWE term. And I imagine they were briefing that crowd, turning them went around. It was probably like, you remember uh, the bit of Mick Foley's book where he talks about the Disney tapings? Oh, yeah. And yeah. how they put, like, um, cheer now, boo now up on the screen and stuff. I bet it was kind of like that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I'll be honest with you, Benno. You ask me about that match, I can hardly remember it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just winging it here. Like, I just remember liking some of Riddle's charismatic moments and thinking, ah, oh, Thatcher's quite good here. But it just sort of came and went. And it's just how I feel about any of their shine when I watch it. Unless I get angry and annoyed by it and just want to kick off, I. I I find it really hard to praise anything they do at the moment. Mm-hmm. And until there are crowds back in front of decent wrestlers in that company, I probably won't be able to give, you know, give any kind of insight or do any sort of good review of any match that takes place there. And I know I'm not being objective here, but you know, what? I'm not a paid oh, journalist and I've not got a remit, so fuck it. <laughs> no, it's understandable. Like I, I, I'll be honest. It was the most I've been into a WWE match. Like I saw, I gave it three point seven five on Grapple. I think I saw you gave it four JP. So you even, yeah. even higher than me on it. It was the most I've been invested in one of their matches. But I can totally understand not being invested. Like I wasn't going back and watching the rest of this show. Like I wasn't. I'm, I'm intrigued by the shittiness of the Drake Maverick story, but I still didn't even go oh. back and watch that. You, you watched the whole show, didn't you, JP? Or at least you saw that as no, well. No, no. I, I watched the opening bit because, like Joe, I've just got BT Sport, um, but I can only watch it on my phone or on my tablet. So mm. I end up watching just little clips of it because BT actually do a tremendous job of making it easy to find particular matches and the mm. like. They, like, up with it straight away. Um, but I watched that opening match and the, the, the finish... I, it was fine. I think Jay Catless is is quite good. Um, I think I look at Kushida and I think I've never really missed him since he's left New Japan. Mm. I've never kind of really felt anything there. Um, linking back with the fight pit stuff, the overall problem in watching this, I think a lot of it is Kevin Dunn. And it's just the staleness of their presentation and the fact that they can't loosen things up, that they have to have people behaving in a particular way in the crowd rather than letting things be organic because they don't like organic because the the kind of control freakery that surrounds them um mm. but this opening match as well <coughs> had an awful finish where i think it was uh oh who was it kushida had him in um a kind of arm um he had him in the, the uh arm lock and then uh and he had it trapped with his legs and then Drake, and then Drake Maverick pins Jake Atlas while he was lying down. It was like, well, surely Kushida's holding him down then as well. It's one of these just bullshit finishes. Just really complete nonsense. And the whole storyline, ever since all that stuff has started, I just like, uh, I don't like this. Mm. And I'm not engaged in any way, shape or form. But they're building it up as like the underdog story. Mm. And I'm not a upset or offended by it or anything else i'm just like oh fuck's sakes of course this is the kind of thing that they would do where either he is fired or he isn't fired but i'll be honest i'm just at a point when i see it and i just glaze over it's like yeah. kurt angle i was like i thought he was gone oh he's here he's probably not left yeah he's probably staying around and he just like yeah and that's and like i know it's it, there's a kind of the whole way that they present stuff is is bad it is. and there's nothing to it compared to AEW where there's just 
solidly throughout it, there's moments that are kind of entertaining. Not everything absolutely works, but no. yeah. I mean, I'd probably say the, the, the one pushback I'd say on that main event is, I think I, I agree it was the most WWE, WWE way to present it, but the idea mm-hmm. itself was very un-WWE to put two two dudes in a cage and let them grapple. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? And there was something fresh about that, but you're right, it's two steps forward. Well, one step forward, two steps back, or maybe one step forward and another step back because they can't help but WWE fire as well. But it's rare, to be honest, something piques my interest on WWE TV, and I think, oh, I've got to go out and watch that. And yeah, the reviews of that match was one thing. I can't say I'm going to be tuning in next week to see Drake Maverick's big moments. Uh, maybe, again, if they do, if they do a fight bit every week, maybe I'll tune in, but yeah. Well, it makes you wonder that eventually they're not just going to do grappling in there and they're going to have high flyers doing stuff off the scaffold. And for mm. the rest of it, it probably feels a lot safer than doing stuff off the top of a cage. Mm. Um, and it's much less of a drop. But mm. at the same time, knowing them, they're going to exhaust it. They always do. They can't oh, yeah. resist it. They'll they'll be doing this every other week. Weren't they doing ladder matches? Just like for shits and giggles. <laughs> War games, and the, like six of them in a week, um, you know? That's, that's what they do, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it all started off with like multi-mans. I know we've looked at 1997 the first time they had a triple threat match for a title and it's just like, oh my God, the fucking beast that that unleashed <laughs> from there on in where, where like our wrestling lives are spent littered watching trip, like triple and multi-person matches with just a sense of whatever. Yeah. But, I was, I, gonna, went that. I was gonna say you mentioned um, Angle being furloughed before. Were we aware that Nigel McGuinness got furloughed? That came out this week. Yeah, Apparently, I saw uh, that. That's it's great. It was that, that a it? while ago. Yeah, I think it's just coming out of the story. Brilliant, that isn't it? That the, the New Japan, like the, the big story for them this week was that they were having their executives take a, a bit of a pay cut, and like maybe some staff were going to be taking you know five to ten percent pay cuts on top as well. No one getting People sacked. Upset. 80% pay cuts in yeah, Japan. Yeah, the, the top, Eight top zero. Class, so, Yeah, There's which a... is a responsible way of doing it, isn't it, JP? Whereas the most profitable wrestling company in the world who are on course for record profits this year, yeah, they can't afford Nadia McGuinness's 30 grand, you know what yeah. I mean? Can't, can't pay that. It's fucking just I th- difficult. I think there's probably, I could be wrong on this, but there's a sense that there was like a real sense of like, pride in working for new japan and therefore as executives they feel responsible for it and therefore it's them who should kind of fall on their sword or in this case take the cut for the benefit of the company with the idea of like yeah that's fine and uh, and i think you know again they prove themselves to be a lot more of a class act they're still hesitant to do empty arena shows and i think kind of good on them even though they're taking such a financial hit but then from the harold mage video where he came out the other uh was it two weeks ago and he said all this stuff and he was completely open and transparent about saying this is the effect on the business this is the way you can support them and it's just like they're they're a credit aren't they and then when you compare them with wwe i don't think they want to test their wrestlers because ultimately they don't really give a shit. That's well, I how think I... with old Harold there, you've kind of it sort of showed some leadership, mm. and I think what a lot of employees need at this sort of time is leadership from those that are, you know, in charge of the organisation that they work for, and some reassurance from that person who ultimately makes the big decisions in your company and is kind of the figurehead. And I think he's done a great job of that in terms of reassuring people. Um, yeah good on the bloke you then look at 
Vince, and I don't think he's got any idea about leadership. His idea of leadership is, uh, well, fear and divisiveness. Let's be honest. Well, if you if you look at the coronavirus responses, uh, you you see that kind of what are people who are kind of deeply insecure but populist leaders, and all of their reactions, and like Bolsonaro in Brazil, obviously Trump, obviously Boris Johnson, Putin, and they've all been shown to be kind of charlatans. They, it's the alphas. It is, but there's no leadership skills there. I've said it. I've said it on one of these podcasts before. It's the problem. The problem is alpha maleism and this kind of like archaic ancient belief in sort of alpha credentials and constantly being alpha throughout. Look at Bolsonaro. What an absolute moron! And the fact you see a lot of Brazilian football players really kind of like supporting Bolsonaro even at this stage, like. Fucking hell! Like, what the fuck? It's bizarre. But yeah, it's it's a good on Harold Mage for actually showing some leadership, understanding his role, and understanding that yeah, he is kind of a figurehead, and he is you know that person who's in charge there. But those wrestlers look to, and I'm sure he's got a lot of goodwill and a lot of respect from doing this. Mm. Unfortunately, Vince McMahon's role is use fear and dictate and make everyone get in line and kind of pander to me, suck up to me, and be slightly scared of me mm-hmm. in order to get people to do what I want them to do. And could he really give a fuck about them? No. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the last couple of weeks we're going to talk about in a minute about Vince McMahon trying to sue a woman who's who became a widow and a single parent while her husband was working for his company. Like, you know, just that alone sort of, to me, sums up the man mm. and sums up the the business-first attitude of the man at all times, even in death and misery. I think he just lacks empathy. Um, I think he just lacks any sort of proper sympathy. Um, I don't think he's in any way a sympathetic character. Um, I think that as a person... He's a sociopath, let's be honest here, in the way he's dealt with a lot of this stuff. And yeah, I, I've gotten to the Vince McMahon rant, which seems to be my stock and trade <laughs> these days. So yeah, good on New Japan and good on Harold Mage. Yeah, we need more Harolds. Like, I'll be honest, like, you know, there is a pessimistic part of me that's like, well, you know, Vince McMahon is clearly a slave to his TV deals and it's gross that he is. But with New Japan, it's like, unless you've got people in the crowds, like, it's not like New Japan World is a big game changer money-wise for them. So maybe they're able to to, to maybe do that, but they're still doing the right thing. Like, I honestly think the day New Japan start running the shows again, (coughs) excuse me, is when I'm going to know the world's back to normal. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, or at least that part of the world. Yeah, exactly. And they're doing things like they're going from... I think they're going to be starting doing shows with, I think, 10 people to 100 people to 1,000 people. And they're going to, like... I really like the Japan model of maybe trying to get things back to normal. Obviously, there's there's rogue companies on the side, like we mentioned, like WH's uh, podcast covered, that are just doing what they want. But I do think the overall approach to it, it does make me feel more comfortable. I do feel like when New Japan put wrestlers back in a ring for a G1, I'm going to be comfortable watching it. I'm not going to be conflicted like maybe I am watching AEW. And like I definitely am watching WWE with, again, the most powerful company in the world, most profitable company in the world, sacking people and not even bothering to pony up for testing for the people who they are making come to work. That's when I think things might be a, a bit more back to normal and we might all feel a bit better about watching this stuff. 
Yeah, and I think that's the point where, for most of us, like for me anyway, I'll get excited about wrestling again. Mm. And I'll be invested in wrestling again because it'll feel proper and it'll feel like it'll feel legit and it'll feel safer if anything and i i think there's a good chance of g what happening i suppose it depends on whether there's a second spike in japan mm. or if there's a second spike in various regions where wrestlers will be flying in from i don't know if there's is there a travel ban in japan i think there is isn't there yeah i believe so so you're yeah. not, probably not gonna be able to fly people in especially not people from our shitty country where we're killing 400 people a day on odd days still i know it's less than that on average but still yeah, I wonder whether come October the travel ban will be lifted. You probably might have to quarantine for a couple of weeks if you're coming from a certain location. You might not be able to come in from certain locations. It might be certain countries only you can come from. So, mate, I think America's going to be in an absolute state at that point still. Um, so it's whether American talent can fly in, possibly. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think G1 will happen, but I think it'll happen on a reduced schedule with maybe a reduced lineup. Wrestle Kingdom, I think, if Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom's not going to happen, the Tokyo Dome. I think that feels very I unrealistic. Thought about that, you know, yeah, the, the Tokyo yeah. Dome, yeah. And you're not well, going to have that flying uh, kind of what was it, six thousand flying last year? They had. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get any of that. So it's going to be a very different model, and you know, profitability for New Japan. And probably salaries for wrestlers and payoffs are going to be down on what they previously were. But I suppose that's having to adapt to the economy to, you know, what the entertainment industry is able to do at this moment in time, if anything, and ongoing. So we'll see. I could always picture in a, uh, a situation where they do a big super show at the Tokyo Dome and you get a lot of the promotions together as a kind of thing that I think they've... As a word back type thing. Yeah, well, they've done it before. They did it, didn't they, with the All Together Now shows? Mm. Um, There's the weekly pro wrestling show in 95, which was the 13 promotions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them do something like that when they can really go back as a kind of back with a bang. But obviously, at the same time, kind of use it as a showcase for, for lots of various companies. I, I mean, I, I can envisage a situation like that. And to kind of echo what you guys say, I feel more secure in their approach and I feel like they're taking it responsible and, and I feel like they're, the wrestlers health are paramount. So you have faith in them as a company and that kind of extends goodwill, doesn't it? Mm, it definitely helps. But yeah, that I need, to be honest, like this lockdown, one of the, obviously it being awful and terrible, one side product is I've barely been spending any money. There was ever a time I could afford to go to a go to a wrestle go to a Wrestle Kingdom and do a Tokyo Dome show. <laughs> It'd probably be now, but we could go celebrate your birthday, Joe, uh, next year. But yeah, I don't think they're going to be letting uh, did, letting us in. Did you happen. guys know? Did you know guys know the Japanese government are planning to subsidise part of people's holidays to kind of promote tourism when they oh. open? There you go. Wow. Yeah, that's a plan for twenty twenty two, JP. It's a it's a mm. risk, and I'm there going. You fuckers. The only, like, normally, the idea of something like, oh, do you fancy going to Japan? No. And it's just like, we'll kind of pay you for it. And it's like, you pricks. <laughs> you put the, you've dangled the one horrific carrot that I kind of go, yeah, I'm sure I'll get away with it. And then turn up dead, obviously. Um, I, think I, I, I think maybe it's the fact that I think I've had it already that makes me maybe more, and I live on my own, um, oh. making me think, ah, 
you know, if they did the package in January, I'd consider it. No, it's probably too soon, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, I can't <laughs> see I can't see that being up and running in January no. at that, to that extent. Maybe maybe G one oh well, it's the Olympics, isn't it, twenty twenty one? So I'm assuming G one will be in the October again. Again, yeah. Uh, or save your pennies for 2022, and if there's the subsidies are in place, who knows? Could be a could be a great great start to 2022, Benno. I'll stop spending all my lockdown savings on Uber Eats and uh, and similar things on a weekend, Joe. I need to sort that out. I actually ordered it the weekend. I was going to say at the start, but we got into other matters. I ordered on Friday this food from Uber Eats, right, from my local burger place, and the the food turned up, and it was like. A cheeseburger, cheesy chips, and a milkshake. Like, the most opposite thing to anything I would order in a million years. So they completely got the order wrong. The girl who brought my order didn't know what to do about it. She was just like, oh, you need to ring the restaurant. I've got to go make another order. I was like, oh, that's good. So I ended up, like, can't... <laughs> ended up having to go in the app. I had to take the food out, take photos of it, and then in the app put that they've given me the wrong food for it to give me a refund. And to be fair, it gave me a refund right away. So then I ordered the food again from the same place. And five minutes later, the girl who brought the wrong food knocked on the door and she went, oh, yeah, the restaurant just rang me and uh, somebody else has got your food and you've got their food. So can you give me it back and I'll swap it? And I was like, in a pandemic, really? Like, I feel like I've this food's been in my house for about half an hour. Who knows what I could have done with it? She still took it, though. There's a, there a bottle of cider in there maybe I would have kept. I didn't really want the rest of it, so I let her have it. I was like, yeah, there should probably be a better... Uh, better system than that maybe i'd feel terrible for that poor girl who got a, a food that i've fingered well, i hadn't actually fingered through it but you know what i mean opened it up to take photos and stuff what a weird system. so did you get your actual food i did in the end yeah a, a separate delivery driver because i ended up oh, ordering I gonna... a second time and paying brought it and it was hot i was terrified that they were just going to bring my reheated food that had been in that girl's house i'm still not 100 percent it hadn't been dinged in the microwave but i think it was all right this is a big place by anfield by the way nobody go there bigger boss um yeah there's there's my non-recommendation of the week but yeah i feel like that's not the that's not a good system is it sorry complete aside that's... i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> It just sounds. <coughs> they sound like the worst. <laughs> We're all struggling tonight, I think. <laughs> COVID. Um, Fuck me. Are we lost? Commission. Here we are. We back JP? now. No, I'm not. I'm back. I'm all right. Yeah, that <sighs> burger place sounds like absolute shite. That's and to be honest, JP, you shouldn't be ordering the... so much fast food in the pandemic. Well, I've seen some of those. That high street is it, Kirkdale High Street, round <laughs> the favorite. corner from you. It's ca- County Road, but you can hey, call it Kirkdale High Street. I don't mind. Ca- County Road, mate. It's an experience. <laughs> I felt every minute I was walking, I was, I was taking in the sights and taking in the delights of the area. So, <laughs> them doing that, I kind of think, yeah, I could easily see that situation Seems arising. Right, yeah, uh. it seems to fit in with the general aesthetic of 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 what I can imagine Burger Boss to be like. <laughs> Anybody else got any lockdown takeaway stories or should we actually get back to talking about wrestling again? Sorry, it's me this time. It's never me. Well, I usually as well. I haven't, I haven't had any takeaways. I had a chi- I treat myself to a Chinese about a month ago, but oh. that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. You're being responsible, yeah. JP. I, I respect that. Cooking it up. Uh, I, I, I'm just a tight-fisted bastard <laughs> and I won't give my children things that they actually like. Yes. It's like, fuck you. You want a pizza? You're not going. You don't have Domino's, mate. You're going to wait till we go to Tesco's. I, I will be honest. On, on a wrestling point, the, again, talking about the world being back to normal, the world will be back to normal when I'm up at silly o'clock in the morning watching a new Japan pay per view and God come to the ring and I can leave and go to a Greg's. That's when we know that life is somewhat returning to a semblance of normality. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. 
anyway, <laughs> to get us back I on do track. Miss, I do miss New Japan. Just throw that in there. Me too, me too. Yeah. Um, what do we want to talk next? Do you want to, we all watch the AEW's TV. Should we talk that? Do you want to talk the Undertaker talk? We do need to make some time for Owen Hart after uh, after last week us running over. We were live. We got carried away. We went about three and a half hours. It's fine. We've, we've got time this week. Well, we did some actual wrestling last week. I think this week we're, our minds are all over the place, <laughs> aren't they? Are. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> we're not very focused. So I'll go on to The Undertaker. Go on, mate. So, oh, I know you yeah. want to. My God, this bloke. Seriously, right? <laughs> like, how anyone can watch this and go, oh, what a great guy, man. What a cool guy. And I had... Alvarez and Lawler reviewing this last week, and they were like, he seems like a really great guy. It's like, really? Like, he seems such a nice guy. I'm like, have you actually thought about, like, what he does and how he operates for, like, a minute and, like, what his function is amongst other wrestlers? Because locker room leader, no. Like, locker room kind of controller, locker room sort of intimidator that's what he looks like to me and everyone around him just sucks up to him and tells him what he wants to hear and it is painful they were showing him after that cena match you've got them like oh great match it's like it was like three minutes he yeah. hit a few spots he wanted to go longer i wish he went a bit longer let's be honest here stephanie mcmahon that match was great oh bless you real hard Oh, bless your little heart. Oh, fuck off. One little heart? No. <laughs> fucking dark, black, bruised heart is what she's got. Like, what? Because she's a female, she's got a little heart that you're going to bless as she take her. Yeah. Uh, honestly, w- just watching that interaction, it was the most unnatural, forced interaction between... So, uh, a female who I just I just can't stand her as a person. I think she's vile. I think she's a genuinely horrible person. She's the kind of person that would say, "Right, we're cutting you today, but hey, our quarterly profits are up, so that's great, isn't it?" And smiley as she says it. She's that sort of person all over. All she cares about is that fucking company uh, using philanthropy to get herself over and get a company over and make herself feel good about herself and make other people think she's great. And sucking up to the right people and telling the right people the things they want to hear, even though none of it is genuine. And, ah, oh, it just... I, I'm watching it, I was like, fuck this. And then the next bit is him in Saudi Arabia talking about how he's really, like, honoured to be involved in what the WWE are trying to do in Saudi Arabia. What, go, trying to go there, or going there, actively going there, and trying to put on shows to entertain Mohammed bin Salman and choosing wrestlers to go on a card to please Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, I know they couldn't resurrect Yokozuna when he requested him, so didn't they get another uh, big fuckers in that battle royal Royal Rumble they did that time? You're like, what? Like, they're pleasing someone who is basically a dictator because they're being paid a fuckload of money. They're not doing anything great in the country. Like, fuck this. If you think that, if you're that kind of loyal to this company, that you'll come out with statements like that and you'll fool yourself and you wear your Blue Lives Matter t-shirts and think that's a real thing, then fuck you. I've got no time for you. But I must have a little bit of time because I'll continue watching this documentary <laughs> just so I can laugh at it because I'm kind of fascinated by it. Honestly, it's, a it's so bad. 
It's so bad. It's just repeat, repeat, repeat. I might retire. Now one more. I might retire. Now one more. Hey, here I am (laughs) in the locker room, and I'm going to play cards with this guy, and don't we have great banter together? And, way, isn't this funny? Go me. Like, look at this other awkward interaction I'm going to have with this guy backstage because I can't have regular human interactions with people because I've not been able to develop proper social skills in a wrestling locker room because everyone's intimidated by me. So I can't have a laugh. I don't really have any mates. I've just got people who tell me I'm great all the time and talk to me about, like, stuff that I did that was great once upon a time. And they keep bringing up, like the Michaels and Triple H matches at Mania, matches that I really, oh, yeah. really do like. And you know, by bringing these up constantly, you are kind of reinforcing the fact that he can't work anymore and the fact that he's so bad at this point and so embarrassing. And it just makes the whole thing seem even more, I don't know, tragic and misinformed, if anything. It is a bad documentary series and how people are talking about this being great and comparing it to the last dance that's oh, an no. insult to the great documentary making that jason hey he here he did on the last dance and the character and the integrity that michael jordan has as a person who can properly reflect on his career and look at it in a way where he's still very much attached to his career, but there is still, there is now a sense of detachment. This bloke is still in the fucking bubble of wrestling. This is, he can't look at it with that same honest perspective. He's not interesting. He's fucking boring. (laughs) And I think the person asking him questions is probably intimidated by him and isn't asking him questions that make for interesting viewing at all. It's bad. Yeah, I was gonna say that this this is a one episode documentary series. This is not like a uh, no wonder there's no episode four this week. There's only episode three since the last time we talked about it. Um, but I was thinking that the last time you we talked about it, Joe, you were making that comparison of Taker and Jordan. And I, to be honest, I was thinking, oh, maybe that's a bit harsh because you know Jordan's in like the height of his career. The players, obviously, he's Jordan, so he's a million steps above them, but he's one of them. This is the equivalence, and this is why wrestling's so unique. This is Jordan coming back at, like, 55 or whatever all the Undertaker is. I think he's actually about 50, but he walks like he's 55. At 50, going back and playing for the Bulls again, and then expecting to, like, blend in with the young players and playing shite and then being able to come back and play again and then repeat, like you say. Like, that. that's where, that's where that kind of comparison kind of takes me because like i can't even imagine that anywhere else whereas in this weird thing that wrestling is that's allowed to happen and an undertaker is still around and still still like i think to be fair michael's put it well chasing the dragon like that's what he's doing he's fucking yeah it's sad like and i'm surprised to be honest the one thing i will say for this documentary i'm surprised Obviously, they're not open about the Saudi stuff. It's just like, oh, isn't it great? We're going to Saudi Arabia. And there's no mention of why they're there. Or, or, or yeah, Jeddah's got some things going We're just going in Jeddah. Yeah, we're just in Jeddah. And we're going to head to the things things there. But, they're, they're certainly doing human rights violations. That but, much. Well, there is that. But, but, I, but I will say the one thing I appreciate about it is that they're not hiding away from how fucking tragic it is that he keeps coming back. And that he keeps having these shit show matches, and there's another one coming whenever the next episode's coming out. Like you can't, you you have to watch this and just come out of it thinking, just retire, mate, for everyone's sake. Like there's no yeah. happy ending here. I'm hope I'm expecting. 
The best thing this documentary can do is have a ha the happiest ending it can have is he does the AJ match and he goes, ah, it wasn't what I wanted, but it was a good send-off for the character, I'm done. I'm hoping that's where we're going, because if we don't, like, this is a tragedy. This is a wrestling tragedy yeah. that's just going to continue to play itself out. Like, oh, like I I'm actually surprised they're so honest about that. I'm surprised they're not pushing her under the carpet and kind of going, oh, what a legend, though. Okay, the match wasn't perfect, but, you know, they entertain the fans but, together. But they and aren't fine. doing that, though. Dragon. Like, they're talking about how bad it is. Like, they're talking about how bad that tag match was. And there's no yeah, hiding that's the main from idea. that. Yeah. There's no hiding from it. And they're all, like, sort of honest on that one. It's almost like that's the accepted one that they can all sort of be honest about. True. And it was a failure. And they can all sort of laugh and joke about it. But the others, like, it, the Reigns one is, it's just him saying it's bad. No one else is saying it's bad. Like, everyone was telling him it was good, and it's just him being him. It was a shit match. I remember watching mm. it thinking, this is bad. Like, you shouldn't be wrestling. Mm. I wish they'd have covered that Shane Hell in a Cell match and how bad that was oh, as yeah. well. Maybe that was an awful match. Mm. That was a one-spot match that went half an hour, mm. and it was half an hour of really dull wrestling yeah. where Shane McMahon was throwing ridiculous punches. It, you know what? It's the worst Shane McMahon match in the great Shane McMahon return, if you ask me. That's saying something. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just feels like they're still just lying to him. Like, like the comments after the Cena match, the way that people are greeting him backstage after that match, it's just kind of tragic. Like, It's interesting you made the point about Jordan Benno, because last week, or was it the week before, I watched uh, Harry's Heroes. Have you seen that? No. Do you know what it is? No, what is it? Uh, I series 2, ITV uh, reality TV series, after my complaints about reality TV <laughs> last week. But this is more self-aware, put it that way. And it's about a bunch of uh, basically 80s and 90s England players getting together with Harry Redknapp as their manager for a reunion game against the Germans. Oh, and, of course. <laughs> of course it is. And England beat Germany in the last game to end Series 1. Do you know what the score was? 4-2. 4-2, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Robbie Fowler hat-trick. Um, oh, my God. Still had it in that game. And then Series 2, they're playing the Germans in Germany. And the Germans have got some better players in. So they've got like Thomas Burt holding. Um, oh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Litbarski was in yeah. there as well. So they got some good tasty 1990 World Cup players in there. Um, but England still beat them 1-0. It was a, a last-minute goal from um, Lee Hendry of uh, Aston Villa fame. Yeah. Legendary yeah, yeah. haircut. Yeah, yeah. See, you're watching this, right? And you know what? Lee Hendry can still play. I was like, if he was playing like non-league, he'd actually be pretty handy. But, you know, you've got Razor Ruddock in there who can't run, right? You've got like Paul Merson in there who's finally off the booze and is looking quite good still. But you're not going to go, right, Paul Mercer's looking good. Right, let's get him back. We want we want to see Paul Mercer playing in like a Champions League final because <laughs> it's just completely ridiculous, and no one's ever going to consider it or think of it for one solitary second, right? Yeah. And they're all just laughing at themselves and being out of shape, bit unfit. Like Ray Parler looked pretty good. He delivers this awesome cross and he pulls his hamstring when he delivers it. And he's just sort of laughing at himself because he's pulled a hamstring so easily from doing something so routine, right? But it's just a different world. Like, these people are, tr like, laughing at themselves because they're out of shape, they like a beer, they've had their careers, right? In a sport, you're forced to go away. In wrestling, there needs to be a point where someone just says, stop. 
but the, the problem is also Vince. Yeah, it's the Vince problem is he's a guy. Yes, the absolute masochist that sits at the top of the company. He gives a fuck about no one but himself and his quarterly profits and his share price at the end of the day and his TV deal. And if the Undertaker's collateral damage in that, mm. and he might still pop a few idiots, I don't know, to come to a show. Vince is going to go with that and he's going to continue to go with that because if Vince had any sense or he gave any semblance of a shit about The Undertaker, really, he'd have said a long time ago, mate, come on, just stop it. Just stop it. Yeah. And it's not like he needs the money by the size of the house. I thought as well, did you notice there was a question near the end and he kind of mentions there's some family thing that happens and they completely shy away from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely just move on. And at that point, I was thinking... Yeah, if this was George, if this was the last dance, if you're going to make that kind of comparison, which is just ridiculous, it would have been the stuff about Jordan's dad, and it mm. might have been the stuff about gambling or anything else. But here, you still don't know about him, other than he hangs around with Michelle McCool a lot, and what appears to be like a series of garages um, outside <laughs> where he was dragging the the weights along, and it was just like. I'm sure I've seen this work out beforehand. And every time, like you say, it was like the matches are bad. They're still trying to pretend that they're good. And I'm watching, I was like, oh, I've seen a match. Yeah, that was shit. That, that MSG match, how much do you reckon he did? This is probably all of it. So I'm guessing he did a minute and a half. Yeah, that probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't be good at all. There hasn't been any good matches for a long time. If it was Japan, he would have been moved down the card to be doing tags. <laughs> That's what would be happening. Yeah, and he would have retired. He would have had a big ceremony. There would have been an element of, and this is where, like, they talk about professional pride. Professional pride is not about letting him embarrass himself. Mm. And obviously, like, we've got the coup de grace next week, haven't we, with bloody Goldberg going in there. Oh, I love that match. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun with that as well. <laughs> but what I'll say for that as well, when he's talking about that MSG match, it's like they're talking about this Madison Square Garden six-man tag as if it's a big deal. It's a house show in 2019. I didn't even know what happened. Uh, not who did, right? Mm. And he's like, oh, it's a bucketless thing to, to headline Madison Square Garden. Didn't you do that in 1998 at SummerSlam? Like, what? Yeah. It's, it's off your bucket list. Why have you got to come and do it again in a six-man tag in front of, like, less people that were there in 1998 because they didn't sell the show out? Like, it, it, it reeks of just someone who is so in that bubble that he can't see, like, the wood from the bloody trees. Put it that way. And it is sad. It's really sad, and I don't feel like this guy is a real person. I feel like he's a, sort of the ultimate WWE programmed robot, if anything, who can't see any negative on the side of the WWE and has to still kind of hide himself while he's apparently revealing himself. This is a bad documentary. Yeah. It really is. Even Triple H, your best mates, though, uh, Joe. That's the thing. That's the lesson I learned from this Ooh, last episode. Yeah, I know. It was shit. like that's we don't talk. A, not... We we don't we don't we don't ask how we are. We don't talk about the families. Respect. I probably haven't seen him in a long time, but we've got respect, and it's like <laughs> that's oh. not a friend, mate. That's that's not that's not what a friend is. Like, yeah, it's just sad. It they... is sad. It's sad to watch. They... They say it's not common, but they do seem to have these silent hugs every four That's months true. or so, don't That's they, true. backstage? And it's like... Triple H, the Undertaker whisperer. Really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's there. And it's... 
you know, and he says this thing about, you know, when I found out about Stephanie, it was him who I told. And oh, I'm there yeah. thinking, what is he going to say? No way should you be marrying her. No way at all. It's just like, this bloke's going to be my boss. So I'm just going to be playing the you game. put him in the wedding, it's, You put him in the wedding? That's politics. It is. But it I is. wanted to see more of that wedding. Mm. Not going to lie. Yeah. That's what I wanted to see more of. Like, is like I don't know, Vince's speech on tape. I'd be up for seeing that. Doesn't Michael Hayes make a tit of himself and, like, do karaoke yeah, he gets or something? Yeah, pissed or something, don't he? Yeah. Oh, that's I want to see that tape. normally do that, though, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but he's an entertaining tit, is Hayes. I'd be well up for seeing a bit of that. <laughs> he's very much chasing the dragon living those world-class days, wasn't he, in Texas? <laughs> during which he was about 25 or something because yeah. like that's, that's what Younger. always blows my mind when you find out Doc Hendricks as we talked about was in his 30s Mate, I think he was born in 1959 if I remember rightly it's crazy I think it? I remember seeing that he was born the same year as my mum and being like what the fuck this is weird <laughs> yeah anyway a, a, just a bad documentary and you know you know also just I don't I, I find it really hard to understand why people think about this guy in such a like positive way right it's not that i I sort of get why people might like the character but kane is fucking shit he's always been shit <laughs> like he's never been a good wrestler Spanish find, me, kane. Can't take a find, me, find me the great kane match number one and also do you see kane's uh, comments on the global pandemic this week as the mayor of knox county no yeah, he doesn't get it not good. He's an idiot. Mm. Um, we need to open back up the economy. It's safe to open the That's economy. That's the real again disease, now. Joe. The economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So another one, another boneheaded idiot who has probably been in a locker room full of blue lives matters types at the same time, and it's a great fucking shame. He it had his really nine is. line. He had his nine line clothing that I looked up. That's made for vets. A lot of faith, family, and firearm stuff going on in in that particular online shop, and he had it all over this documentary. I had to have a look. <laughs> what was the what was the thing he was wearing before him and Michelle? Oh, the, what was it about the God is dope. God is dope. Yes, uh, and the so Trump Pulp Fiction knockoff T-shirt. Like he's he's got a wardrobe full of that shit, hasn't he? Blue Lives Matter. Like the kids, uh, even in this episode, the the, the kids and, uh, and 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 as what well, and Michelle both had like custom-made Undertaker jean jackets, like the clothes in that house, mate, honestly. It's bad. I also saw Undertaker tweeted something about how WWE is apolitical. It's like, <laughs> they take money from the Saudi government and they also... Donate <laughs> Trump. Dump, donate money to the Trump Foundation and, well, look at the Ron DeSantis Florida payment that went on as well. Like, come on, mate, you really are fooling yourself by going with this line aren't you Vince, like, yeah, Vince right. thinks his hero is Martin Luther King though like that's the weird contradiction is it and like there was a point you know that's when I said it? about what oh yeah <laughs> I he, think he, he goes on records that being that his hero should be his hero his real hero is Biff Tannen he wants <laughs> back to the future Alternate, and he thought mate alternative 1985 Biff Tannen is Vince's hero <laughs> oh yeah he is yeah it's just so that weird that probably inspired him to do the bloody Vince McMahon character. I thought, I'm going to sit on ice here for about a good seven years. And then I'm going to get all sports almanac on Bret Hart. And then here we go. Are you saying that Bret Hart is the Marty McFly? Kind of is. It's a nice lead-in, isn't it? Given, like, you know. is Does that make George McFly Owen Hart? Because he's dead. In the, uh, uh, oh, my God. Dynamic. This is the worst oh. transition we've ever done. 
He really is. Because <laughs> I was just going to say, going from bad documentaries, let's go to a good documentary. But this works too. This is a good analogy. I like it. Uh, Keep it going. <laughs> and this... This is a, and I think this is, in all sense, this is a really good documentary. I'm going to move away from the Back to the Future stuff, I think, at this point. I felt, I felt, I felt like we're digging a hole. Um, this being Dark but, Side of the Ring Owen Hart that we, uh, we didn't get a chance to Dark talk Side about. Dark Side of the Ring Owen Hart. I hadn't, Joe had seen it before me, and it was the last walk I ended up doing around the golf course on a socially distanced walk. He was like, I'll watch this. This is, this is something that's really good. And when I watched it, I, I thought, I kind of wanted to see two hours. I'd have been well happy if you'd lost that Road Warrior shite the week before and put another hour of this on. Because Martha Hart is brilliant. Is mm. Oge? That's Oge how you is say his name. Yeah, he's an absolute class act. And it was something that Joe had said, and it really stuck with me from this, which is they're not workers and they're not interested in wrestling. And so therefore they're absolutely like genuine and honest and Obviously, it's very kind of passe, but of, there were a lot of people saying, you know, on the Hall of Fame stuff, and it's just like, fuck you. Like, when you see the facts of the case and everything else and their attitude during the show, they're disgusting. They really are. And that's, and they they don't, they could dig enough into it, but I mean, I think Martha Hart does such a good job of just kind of explaining the case and the things she had to go through. And when you see the change in the clip that they ended up doing, and the thing that it was just like any amount of pressure, it automatically Oh, yeah, opened. the little clip thing they, that was basically the only thing that was holding them up. And it's like yeah. a, basically a little fishing clip. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. And, and you come away from this thinking, like, it was such a needless death for a gimmick and an angle that wasn't worth shit at the time because they kind of wasted Owen Hart after Brett had left. They mm. never did the big storyline with Sean, which was the storyline they could have gone with after the Degeneration X pay per view. Well, but Triple H didn't do that. that. Yep. Kill surprise. Um, Undertaker probably fucking loved that, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, it stood up probably thought that, that, that's best for business. But with this, it, it, it's it, like the way that you're hearing and you're hearing it from her and it's not tainted with the idea of like the Hart family as well. And like Brett's opinion, I get on it as like the only other person. He should have been on the documentary. He really should. He should have been on the doc. Even if it is, yeah, even if it is effectively like he disagrees and wants his brother in there. And I'm going to get that because that's his brother. And obviously like, you know, the closeness is there, but, at the same time, her husband and the father of her kids needlessly died. Her daughter barely remembers ever ever having you know any memories of her dad for that. And they took it away for no good reason. And they didn't pay the money that they should have done if they wanted to do the stunt in the first place. And then carried on the show. And there was all those things from over the edge, reminiscent with Joe talking about. But yeah. Uh, this was a really good finish to the documentary, the uh, documentary series. Yeah. yeah, I think it was. I, I think the Benoit one was still the best one, mm. uh, but I think that's because they got the length for the time yeah, to explore. It should have been two hours. It really should have yeah. been. Like that LOD one last week, we didn't need that. We didn't need that at all. Yeah, that was pointless. It was really pointless. And that was the first thing me and JP discussed when we originally spoke about this was 
if they just got rid of that, because there was various strands in this Owen one that could have been explored in a lot more detail. And like I've listened to interviews with Martha Hart. Uh, I've listened to her with Meltzer and Jericho. And she sort of says, like, there's more detail in my book. And you're thinking that that's more that could have gone into that documentary and that would have held an audience. But what I think they got was they got the balance between um, the kind of sort of emotional kind of resonance of his death but they also managed to capture him as a person during mm. it as well and i thought they actually used stuff like the the um archive footage from like the Hart family kind of video collection really effectively mm. um I, like there were little moments in there that made me sort of well up a little bit the bit where mm. he sort of says merry christmas to his son yeah oh that really got me and it's little moments like that that humanise someone. And sorry to go back to the Undertaker documentary, but there's never anything I see that fully, fully, fully humanises him. Whereas you see something like that, and you're like, oh, this guy is—he was a good guy. He was a, like he—he he was a, someone who felt like he was more than a wrestler. He had a life outside of wrestling, hmm. and they managed to really address that. And I think with the other documentaries. A lot of the guys these documentaries are often about are just workers yeah. and are so ingrained in wrestling. And it's amazing that someone that was from a wrestling family like his was kind of able to detach that from his lives. And watching it, I just remember thinking, fair play to, to the family for actually going, you know what, we're not going to fall for this kind of heart family bullshit and this legacy stuff. We are just going to detach from it fully because this is probably best for us. And you look at what like a good human being his son is. He seemed like a, a mature, smart sort of young bloke. Mm. Could really hold himself. Could really talk. Eloquent. Educated. You think, fair play to you for making the most of yourself. Like in the situation you were put in. As yeah. what was he? Five, six? I think it was seven. Seven year old child. Like, good on you. And it was just refreshing here in Martha Hart. Actually say... Nah, fuck WWE. Well, she didn't say that, <laughs> but she has no, in- she has no interest in really having a dialogue with them. She's got no interest in sort of showing any due respect for them because of the, the situation that she was plummeted into. And she's seen the worst, most underhanded tactics in action and they affected her and she's not going to forgive them. And she's the only person i was thinking about this she's the only person that's not gone back there in the end or hasn't given into bruno bruno sammartino didn't for years and he went back and you know it's a very different situation to what this one is but i was trying to think of other people who never yeah there you go there's another one again very different situation mm. but she is the only person that's not given in to their bollocks and yeah. good on her because she's really made something of herself and has made a great life for her and her kids yeah she sees it for what it is which is what like ah, that that was a big takeaway for me it's like talking we were talking last week about wrestling bubbles weren't we and like in the wrestling bubble and Mark Henry caused a lot of this. Was it last year or the year before when he was like, Owen Hart needs to be in the, in the Hall of Fame, like doing a call-out to Martha Hart. I can see that making sense to somebody in the wrestling bubble. But anybody who watches this documentary or looks at it with real-life eyes, like, okay, one, 
The WWE Hall of Fame isn't a Hall of Fame. It's not. It doesn't exist. It's not. It's, it's a TV event they do once yeah. a year. And Vince, based on a whim and based on who has his ear, will decide who goes in in each given year. They pick a headliner because they want to sell tickets. That's what it's about. And then they bring in, you know, Coco Beware goes in or a random celebrity goes in. It's not real. And unfortunately, people in our bubble and wrestlers as well kind of fall for it and think it is real. And therefore get all wrapped up in the idea that Owen Hart should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Actually, to be honest, I even hate myself for bringing up this talking point because I feel like it's the least important lesson to learn from this. But, you know, from a wrestling point of view, I suppose it is the big story that comes out of it. How can people not understand that she doesn't want the company who, for all intents and purposes, killed her husband, tried to sue her, made her life miserable, still are combative with her now, even now, in 2020. Like, why would she want to... It's not about a Hall of Fame. It's about, like you said, JP, them doing a big live event where they get to sell some tickets based on Owen Hart's name. Like, that's what the Hall of Fame is. It's not real. Like, that's what they're trying to do. And she's... Because she's not a wrestling person, she sees it for what it is. She sees this carny bullshit for what it is. And, like, if you're... I hate to get sanctimonious again, but again, if you're one of those people who, like, Martha Hart's like this fucking enemy to wrestling fans on, like, if you go on, like, forums or Reddit or Twitter, there's, like, groups of people who are, like, venomous with how much they hate Martha Hart, and it's, like... Vincels, mate. Vincels, that's what they are. Probably shouldn't take them seriously, to be honest, but, like, I can't even Uh, imagine being a functioning human being and watching this documentary or listening to her on a podcast or reading a book... And not coming out and going, yep, yeah, Martha Hart's right. You know what I mean? The Hart family stuff's all a bit grey. I understand their point of view. Uh, again, I wish Brett was in the documentary to give the other side of the of the coin. I probably wouldn't have agreed with him, but I would have been glad to hear it. But at the end of the day, she's a grieving widow who's literally used Owen Hart's memory to fund a charity and has done all these great things in his name. Got these great kids who, who were like his legacy as well. A fucking fake wrestling Hall of Fame doesn't matter. That's the stuff that matters. Yeah, and, and and also I'd recommend. I don't know if you guys have seen it. If you get a chance, you can go to the um, Owen Hart Foundation page and see all the good stuff they've done, which is about like scholarship funds for for student and, and homeowner programs for people in low income situations in Calgary. Absolutely. You know, a small thing. What did she do? She lived in Cambridge. She's got oh, I saw PhD. that. Yeah, yeah. I think her son went like to school in Oxford as well. Human. Yeah top quality human being mm. like with like a good sense of perspective about the world and they just see through the fucking pt barn and bullshit and just like yeah i'm not falling for it and and absolutely good on them for this like i say like my main complaint of it is it wasn't longer no. but yeah i think vince has kind of met is kind of how can I put it? His intellectual nemesis when it comes to her, hasn't he? Mm. In many ways, you got this man who sits on the right, who cares about no one but himself, really. His hundred dollar steaks that he can have, his workout each day, his protein shakes, and making sure that everyone's in line and they fear him. And then you've got this person who genuinely cares about others, is quite creative by the sound of things, um, is really kind of quite understanding quite kind of uh insightful in some of the things she says wants to make other people's lives better as well as her own and her own families and as focused on her family and 
you know, making them a success. And you think about where she she sort of sits politically. She sounds like someone who would very much sit on the left, let's say, as well, doesn't she? So I think she's everything that Vince probably despises in some way, you know. She's sort of self-made, but she's, she sort of used that WWE money that she got in the early days to kind of do all of this. Yeah. And I'm sure he probably resents that in some way. And oh, yeah. what great use of that money. And I know she wanted uh, kind of justice. And it's really interesting listening to her talking about like meetings with the lawyers and the way that cases like that usually go and why she didn't want to sue the, um, uh, the I can't think what they're called, the people who did the, the zip line. Company. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and her reasons for that was like, oh, I completely get this. It's all rational. It's all very mm. rational. And she's managed to employ kind of a rational kind of existence in something that's very emotional. Yeah. And to me, that shows the emotional intelligence that she has as a person. And good on her. Like, I, I came out of this thinking, this is a good documentary. There might be a 90-minute version of this that exists, and if they want to go back and edit a 90-minute version, I'm well up for watching it. Yeah, I honestly think you could get an Erin Brockovich-style actual feature film out of this, to be honest with you. Mm. If you figure the idea of someone who was like a mother with really young kids, who was a widow, and it, you know, and these fuckers actually like the Jerry McDevitts of the world. Mm. All the old Billy Big bollocks sitting in a fucking lawyer's office <laughs> and just just scaring people, effectively. Sort of no different to a kind of mob enforcer, except that they'll just financially ruin you yeah. if you decide to tackle them. And she took them on and won and didn't take any of their shit. And for that, she's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I thought she came across brilliantly. She was the best part of the documentary. Um, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, what what do you what's kind of your memories of like? the incidents and Owen Hart dying and maybe Owen Hart in general because I can for me like the pay-per-view it wasn't one I watched live but I do distinctly remember so this would have been 97 so it would have been 13 my mum waiting me up was it 97 uh, or 99 mate. 99 oh, sorry so yeah I would have been a bit older so it would have been 15 um, but I do distinctly remember my mum waking me up because she'd heard the story on the radio like that, that this wrestler had died called Owen Hart and she woke me up and told me about it and I'll be honest First thing I did was gone. I take the pay per view. I went on the pay per view, and I was like, "There's no way this is real." And I tried to go to the spot in the pay per view to find out like what had happened, which does sound pretty dark now that I think back on it. And obviously, they'd frozen the feed. Um, you know, there was nothing bad uh, that you could see there, but it was probably literally sat there. I think for the hour before school, just watching like the aftermath of it and watching fucking you know he, he, poor Jim Ross and poor Jerry Lawler having to sit there and. And explain to the world what had happened and commentate like nothing. And like even then, when you know when I'm a, you know when I'm a teenager and I'm still in still in school, I'm watching it thinking, "There's no way this show should have gone on." Like I probably wasn't thinking of it in terms of this is an active crime scene. The WWE have killed this person um, through their negligence. But I was thinking, "This is fucking gross." How are these fans cheering for Steve Austin in the main event? Which I think was a, a big thing Foley said in his book. How he found it hard to to handle. You know that, that there were people in the crowd still having a good time. I, I suppose maybe when you go to a wrestling show, you may be desensitized to this stuff, and you maybe partially think it's part of the show. Partially, I don't know. Just kind of go along for the ride. But I remember it just being a really uh, obviously rough watch watching it back at the time, and and uh, I'm, I'm finishing the pay per view that night. 
I honestly think a lot of people there that night may well have thought the show is going on, so we kind of assume he might be all right. Mm. And they never told the live crowd, did they? It was only the TV audience for it. Um, my story is incredibly similar to yours, Benno, mm. except I didn't have school the next morning, <laughs> uh, uh, basically. Um, but I'd recorded it, and I, when I woke up, to watch it my mum had said oh there was a wrestler that died last night oh wow and i was like what and she'd seen it on breakfast news mm. and then it was like no and then i ended up watching the tape and going through it and then seeing it was like like and then saw it was like owen hart who who died and it was like oh my god and all the rest of it and i can remember a lot of it again i was talking about this with joe Jarrett crying during yeah. the Deborah McMichael while like, trying to stay in character at the same time it's such a weird promo understandable oh, but like horrible but being to watch put in a situation where he has to do that yeah. he would have seen that on a monitor or yeah. certainly just been informed of this happening and he's oh, like yeah. it, and it, it, it's just awful it makes you think what J- Jim Ross said in it is like Owen Hart has died and we're back live in 10, 9 and it's like, oh. like and it's the show must go on uh mentality but the just the worst version of it mm. because like in vince's mind it's like i didn't plan this so therefore it didn't happen mm. and trying to kind of like go and i remember he there was an angle with him going into an ambulance on that show or something like that uh something along those lines and i remember him and shane and they were acting as if like nothing had happened and it's like like one of the wrestlers who worked for you has died like sort of an hour ago mm-hmm. and you're still like these skits are still the priority of the day it tells you a lot it does <laughs> yeah I, I think for i remember it being like the talk of school as well when it mm. happened like i wasn't watching at the time it was just before i would have started watching again but i remembered owen hart from when i was a lot younger um i sort of remembered him and brett and stuff not well but sort of vague memories and I remember everyone kind of talking about it and the discussion of whether it was fake or whether it was real and all the rest of it yeah. going on in the school bus and stuff. But I wouldn't have seen the show until about a year later. So a mate of mine who I used to borrow tapes of, I mentioned it before, had it on tape. And obviously you couldn't buy the tapes. They never actually released it commercially. I remember borrowing off of him. And yeah, even knowing what was about to happen, just being really sort of taken aback by it. For me, it's it's as JP said, the Jarrett promo when they cut backstage, Deborah crying as well. There's one with Road Dog as well, where he's clearly emotional. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's Lawler's reaction, like because Jim Ross has got like the Bell's palsy at that point in time. His facial expressions aren't as sort of expressive. But I remember Lawler's face just being like. Yeah oh my fucking god like it sort of just i suppose sells the entire moment as being genuine and as being something to really kind of actually worry about and yeah the position that he was putting and that jr was putting you think about it now you're like no one should ever be put in that position and yeah it's a show that i i've never wanted to go back and rewatch after that Mm. one time of watching it uh, and yeah, I'm not sure how anyone really could go back and and watch this. But imagine having to go out and wrestle in a ring where one of your colleagues has just died. Blood's as right well. there as well. Like that's the other thing, like, isn't it? 
oh man like that is yeah it's just it's not something i, I want to think about imagine if you died of that mic Benno, and me and jp just carried on doing this podcast right now <laughs> i reckon you just would i reckon it just keep going jp you just show, died for show, a few minutes there <laughs> show, show must go on no actually i was making myself a cup of tea <laughs> and i noticed we've all done it i was a little bit, little bit annoyed but you know, just done a big shop tonight, but one of them had put the orange in on the side, orange and mango from uh, from Tesco's on the side, so it leaked in the fridge. Oh, yeah. unbelievable. Really, really isn't any kind of a problem in any way, shape or form. When Annoying I sl- for those few seconds. <laughs> uh, anything more on the documentary, on the documentary itself? Dark Side of the Ring in general? Expectations for a season three? Um, well, it's going to happen. The, what they did, Six hundred thousand on the Owen Hart when you was the highest the rated one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Again, the good and, and, and it went out. Do you know what? It's, it was the timing of it being out around during a pandemic. Mm. I think that it was one of the things that got those extra viewers in, and that people saw it, and they would have been reminded, and would have been, you know, seen as a bit of kind of escapist TV, like you're watching crime scene investigation or something, mm. and just thought it was a fun thing to watch. And it is an easy watch. I mean, we've got our kind of gripes about it in some ways i still want this to exist and not exist yes it could be done a lot better and it could be a lot more forensic and there's clearly a market for this and so if you do it well and properly and properly well researched there are some great stories that could be told out there and you should be in charge of picking them they should be hiring you you should be the man i i'd i'd certainly be game for it i think like there are people when they've come out and asked about all these ideas there's loads of great stuff that you could do. It's I'm assuming they're going to get a bigger budget off Vice. I also get the impression that Vice are interested and it's been long rumoured sort of New Japan and the rest of it because obviously wrestling has worked out well with them for the wrestlers and the two series of Dark Side of the Ring. It seems like a kind of natural fit if they're looking for a bit of content in this at this point in time that will guarantee them a couple of hundred thousand viewers and, you know, be great to see sort of New Japan on there. Yeah, I'm just hoping that the selection of a, the next series isn't, oh, we really like this shoot interview. Let's oh, just make a documentary out of this. Because you can tell with yeah. some of them, that's that's where the birth of the episodes has kind of come from. Um, I'm really hoping they actually tackle some really serious subjects. And I thought throughout the documentary series, they've been afraid of Vince and they've yeah. been afraid of attacking WWE too hard. And maybe that's the threat of, you know, mob boss Hyman Roth Jerry McDevitt turning up on their doorstep or something <laughs> so I'm hoping that they actually go you know have the balls next year with you know Vice think about Vice's media connections isn't 5 or 10% of Vice owned by um by, by Murdoch if I remember rightly yep. as well like Vice has got some good back in there um, better lay off some people though I think today journalism yeah but that's as a result of the pandemic Oh, okay, I did see some vice uh, journalists getting abused in uh, Minnesota as well by uh, a few coppers when they were uh, out there doing some serious reporting, you know, liberal media and all that, bad people. Um, and it is all those left-wing anarchists that are, uh, you know, causing all of these fires at the moment, not the far right, and, you know, the birth of a nation style uh, wankers, you know. Anyway, what am I talking about? Go on to that again. Not too far, but I'm just hoping they tackle subjects like the steroids uh, trial and drug use in WWE locker room. Um, talk to Meltzer about that stuff. That's a real story. Looking at uh, Dr. George Zahorian, that is something that I'm 
desperate to see a proper documentary about yes. because to me that's one of the yeah. most fascinating stories in wrestling during that era um so i'd love to even go down that route the tan and salon girl well that's that story with vince with the uh is it the a tan what, and sorry the tan and salon where he's accused of sexually assaulting the girl um vince i don't know if you get 90s. an episode out of that one it could be part <laughs> of a vince mcmahon kind of you know retrospective on shitty things he's alleged to have done you'd, maybe you'd need the whole fucking series really yeah, at this true. point would you to, season to three the vince mcmahon stuff. season yes yeah, um, but- even looking at stuff in Japan as well, potentially. Go to Mexico, looking at a few subjects there as well. I'd kind of be open to. Mm. I think there's if if it depends what they want to tackle, and it depends what scope they want to put on some of the subjects. Art Bar might be one that they have a look at as well, yeah. possibly. There's the connection to Eddie there. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of an open book for an, for a third series, but yeah, none none of the fluff, none of the fluff. Just just. Good hard-hitting stuff with maybe the occasional Dr. D-style episode in there as well mm. for, for a little bit of relief every now and then. But let's get rid of these Hawk episodes. Let's get rid of the uh, the kind of poor approach to the Jimmy Snooker <laughs> stuff, you know? Animal thinks yeah. the Hawk one should have been two hours. I saw a, apparently on his podcast he was moaning saying there was, there, was, there was footage left on the table. It's like, mate, you didn't even have an hour, not two. Mate, you could sum it up in 10 seconds. <laughs> I get big, I get fights, I get drunk, I take drugs. Dead. I find Jesus, I die. <laughs> there. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know that sounds utterly callous, but as a story, there's no drama there. No. And what are you going to do next series? I feel they go, well, let's do Mr. Perfect. And they go, well, that's basically the same story, you know? Yeah, that's a you problem, know, Rick Rude. I love Rick Rude. It's the same story. A lot of those things are the story, like the the kind of things about it as well. Like I say, if they were like, in some ways, the wrestlers looked at some of some of the bigger topics around wrestling. The dark side of the ring could go into particular stories around it. Say regarding homophobia mm. or the treatment of women within the within the within the industry. Right, treatment of mine. Yeah, race. Race, that's a big one. That that would be there, wouldn't it? And, like, there's a lot of those things they could do. But, like I say, I think there's the fear of Jerry McDevitt. Um, and then there's just the fact that it kind of would require, really, a lot of journalism. And what they want to do is, I don't know, an episode on XPW. So we can find out how supreme it is. Thumb oh, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. Oh, obviously I'd be watching it. Rob Black. A Legend. Rob Black episode. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, Louis. Mate, they should get Louis Farouk into yeah, right? his experiences. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, another one. Uh, oh, my mind's just gone black. I had an idea for an episode, and my mind has gone completely black. I, I, black, I it's not black. I'm sure JP's got a list. Black. Um, I was going to say Candido Sunny is one that for me. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really um, good one. Just because it's slightly... Sitchin herself is a really good episode right yeah. there. If she's mm. willing to be candid and actually do it, think about what where that episode could go. Like, there's so much there. China? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was going to say... I, I remember what I was going to say, JP. You've just made me think of it. Perfect and rude being mentioned there. And uh, what's his name? Animal. Is, is there someone on, like, Lloyds of London? And that deal True. and the scam yeah. that, that went on there as well, possibly. That's that's possibly uh, maybe not a full episode. I don't know. But could it link in somewhere? I don't know. Could be yeah. interesting. Yeah. I, I would like to see one in terms of like uh, 
was it Noah were tied in with Yakuza links? And I think there's stuff around all Japan as well, like years ago. Yeah, like those are the kind of stories that I think would be absolutely would be fascinating as well. You know, it depends really what they want to do with it and how seriously they want to take it. The thing is for them, this is a franchise and they're going to want to do more of these and going to want more stories. It's whether or not they take the hint of the big the big ratings draws for us with the Benoit and the Owen Hart one and they're the two best episodes in the series. Yeah, and the other stuff did well. Don't get me wrong, but that is the kind of approach. It's that kind of bigger one. That what are the kind of smaller stories that you put in there that you may not know about that could be really, uh, really interesting? And you see lots of suggestions out there. I can't remember at the moment. And at least generally your fluff pieces are like the Doctor D one, mm. where it's kind of interesting in its own odd little way with it. But it doesn't feel like again Herb Abrams, where you're like. Really, who was this bloke? Give and- me one on Pat Power Uti. Always <laughs> been fascinated by it by him. Those Nigerian tours sound the fucking wild. That'd Luke Gallows tells me. Yeah, Gallows on, get that. Domino on, get Foley on. Everyone's got a, a story about Pat Oh, yeah. An honest depiction of Ric Flair. Hmm. Not this jokey. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he liked to expose himself to girls sometimes. Oh, he, turned up on a, he turned up on a BT Sport advert tonight with Ugo Monya. He was in the studio. Some bloke, like Ugo Moni presents Rugby Tonight and used to play on the wing for England. And he's like, oh, Ric Flair's in. He's like, who's Ric Flair? Don't know him. Oh, I don't think I'd like him at all. And then Ric Flair turns up, does a couple of woos and then struts down the corridors of where BT that. I've Sport seen that, yeah. Film. yeah. And I was like, is this fucking real? I mean, they're going all in on WWE and BT, I'll say that much, and <laughs> Bundesliga. Uh, they've got to keep those subscriptions up, JP. Um but anyway, on a, there's no real easy transition. But on a side note, do you, do you want to talk some AEW? Mike Tyson, there you go. Mike Tyson could be an episode of uh, Dark Side of the Ring. You could do that. Mate, I think Mike Tyson's got an entire TV series there. Dark Side I of the Ring. There's, there's a 30 for 30 series on Mike Tyson that needs to be made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, he was on uh, he was on Dynamite this week. He's a... Uh, yeah, he's still, a, you know, we're only how many years past the uh, the, the Austin Angle? Twenty two years past, and we're uh, we're going back to it. Did, did we all see that? And we all saw the whole show. Um, I've, oh I've, yeah. I mean, this was again. I couldn't really tell with the tone of it because they're doing a lot of comedy with like the inner circle stuff, where they're very good at it. But it, but I do think like for this angle, I don't know whether the I don't know whether the right tone to strike was either go fully serious. And basically try and do Austin Tyson again, or have maybe that Jericho comedy element to it. I wonder if 23, 22 years later, you've kind of got to have that. Um, although it kind of went off the rails a little bit from a comedy point of view, thanks to a a cameo from a, a let's say a lesser known actor that was uh, that was there that we'll talk about. Uh, I don't know oh. what, what what did you guys make of it? Uh, a raccoon dressed. Uh, a minor uh, movie actor. What did you guys make of it as an angle? Uh, again, we're not. I don't think we're ever going to talk about this in uh, in terms of the original Austin Tyson angle. But I don't know. I can kind of see what they were going for. I'm not entirely sure it landed for me. But again, I was probably spending most of it laughing at our mate Mickey Gooch. I don't know about you guys. I was laughing and then gradually working. Out, Is that Henry Cejudo? You got you got Henry Cejudo in there with Mike Tyson. You know, someone who was like a double world double weight world champion in UFC. He's only recently retired. And you can't see him 
because there's this really big bloke with face paint on him. <laughs> and he stood in front of him because he's not a big guy, Henry Cejudo. And I'm like thinking, right. And then I'm looking at who I fe- later recognised, Richard Evans. And I'm like, I know who that is. Who is that? And then I was like, is that Vita Belfort? What is going on? <laughs> I got the idea this was proper WCW that they wandered into. Tyson turned up late. Basically felt like a sort of no-limit soldier sketch, just with better people kind of around generally, and was 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 quite funny. But I don't think the angle... I don't think it was <clears> meant <throat> to go that way. I think he turned up late, Tyson. I think they were just winging it for a long time. Uh. And there's too many of these inner circa does x event that lasts for 10 minutes and go it's like you said before yeah you know you're good at it but less is more when it comes to this stuff they're your top heel faction don't be forgetting that um and then when tyson came out i i mean i was laughing i won't lie i was entertained i kind of do i want to see tyson jericho no you want to see mickey gooch jericho is what you want to see i never want to see him again (laughs) i never want to see him again I like the idea of Henry Cejudo trying to scale some chain, uh, cage to get in as Jericho's beating down Tyson on a ring, just thinking 2020 has completely gone fucking mental. Like, if if that's the situation that we can end up with. But, <laughs> yeah, it's wacky. I know there's all the mainstream press. I'm not like Meltzer. I'm not one of these people where I think if it's not on SportsCenter, then fuck it, it never happened. No one gives a shit because I'm sick of hearing about that. It's like a different media landscape for it. Yeah, the YouTube news uh, At this stage, you know, why not? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I think leaning into the comedy was the best way to go of it. Tyson's just a meme at this point in time anyway. True. Like, no one takes Mike Tyson seriously. Mike Tyson's not the baddest man on the planet anymore, is he? Let's be honest here. He was in 1998. Yeah, look at... Look at Austin in 1998. Look at his character. Look at who Mike Tyson was. Wasn't Mike Tyson just coming off the Holyfield ear-biting incident? Yeah. yeah. Suspended at the time. And I think he'd been banned from boxing for that period of time. So he was as hot as he could ever be, and he was as bad as he could ever be. And Austin was the fucking man. Jericho is hilarious and understands comedy. And when Jericho did the angle with Tyson in 2010, it was played for laughs then as well. Mm. And I think that you're going to get the best out of Jericho in this if he's doing comedy with Tyson because he understands Tyson's appeal as a kind of comedic figure now rather than a serious figure. And I think if you're going to get ser- if you're going to have serious Mike Tyson, it's going to get kind of dark in this day and age. And it's not the place for this to go dark. I'd like to just see that on the 30 for 30 series that I proposed. So I think going with comedy is is the best route for this you know what? i found it kind of funny that they brought up the thing he did on raw with him 10 years ago because i remember i I really enjoyed that i didn't even know what happened i had no idea joe honestly this was news to me no idea i was couldn't remember i was big into it jericho was great at that point this was the week after so they said it was january the 11th or the 10th or something 2010 i was like ah that was the week after um uh, Bret Hart's return to Raw, where him and Shawn Michaels had that embrace, which is also the same night of TNA uh, switching to Monday nights and uh, introducing the band. 
and uh, bring him out the uh, four. Was it the four-sided ring? If I remember rightly, yeah. So what a what a great week in wrestling that was. But now I remember really enjoying the Tyson angle when they did it at the time. And yeah, it was annoying. It was during that like DX reunion. But it, Jericho was like the right guy to go with at the time for it, and he made it work. So I get going for this ridiculous comedy match because. Let's be honest, if you type this up as like a serious match in 2020, yeah. it's going to look fucking ridiculous. Who's going to go, oh, yeah, I want to see that. Who's going to go, yeah, I want to see that. It'll be a laugh. Like, you you play into the laughter. You show an understanding of a modern audience in 2020. You don't pretend Mike Tyson is like what WWE likes to pretend The Undertaker is at this point in time, you know. <laughs> Aging is a natural process that occurs and makes people, you know, weaker, frailer and changes people. Let's be honest here, as much as Vince would like to deny that. So, yeah, I think comedy is the best approach. I, I echo your thoughts, JP. I was laughing at it. It was funny. It was entertaining. And you know what? This was the first Dynamite that I'd watched since that second lockdown show. And I flipped through it, but I had a perfectly good time watching it. It was easy to watch. Mm. The fact that the crowd stuff is there as well makes it a little bit more bearable and it's a natural crowd yes it feels yeah. Yeah, it yeah. feels like that they're, they're not being told to chant at certain points and what to chant necessarily they're kind of being told your heels your faces but that's it sorry joe no that was basically what i was trying to say it, it makes the whole experience that little bit more bearable um and that feel that little bit more kind of how can i put it 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 doesn't constantly remind me that we're in a global pandemic, okay? Mm. And that's kind of what I, w- I want to know we're in a global pandemic. I want them to acknowledge it. But while I'm watching a wrestling match, I don't want to see uh, people doing taunts to no one in seats in the mm. crowd, which is what I've seen in WWE. I want people to, to have people in the crowd to play off of in some way, yeah. as much as, you know, it might not be for the best at the moment. And it just makes the whole experience that little bit more bearable. Yeah, I'd echo that. Like the, the fact that it's lower card wrestlers, mostly, with personalities who aren't just like, Again, like avatars, which is kind of what the the WWE approach for it was, does make it make it more watchable. And it, did, and it added to kind of the mayhem of like the the Tyson pull apart, which I also enjoyed. Again, for our mate Mickey Gooch, where Jericho clearly had had enough for him, and he was oh, like, yeah. when Tyson ripped his top off. And then Mickey Gooch did it as well and just got in the way. Like, there was a point where Jericho proper swung for him. I love that. Like, I actually, I, yeah. I enjoyed the pull apart, to be honest, once they got to that point. Uh, and yeah, I think the, the crowd atmosphere added to that as well. Uh, but yeah, like, I, yeah, I thought overall, I thought it was like a, a decent show. I think it, it's the most newsworthy show we've had in a while. Um, that plus the, you know, the debut of the, the revival, FTR as well. Mm-hmm. I've seen those. It's funny, I'm kind of on the middle on them. Like, I honestly. Thought the entrance in the car was pretty cool. I don't know if I'm on an island on that because I've seen a lot of people take the piss out of it. But I kind of thought it was cool and turning up in this car. Uh, I didn't think it was so cool. I'm having the the double denim Scott or rip off jean jacket thing, and I didn't really love the you know the the fake oh are they are they there to help the books? Are they there to fight them? And then doing the thing with the butcher and the blade. At least the first half of it, though, I kind of liked. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the, on the now that they finally made it to AEW? Uh, the whole FTR thing. Uh, have they lost a bit of their shine? Because I do feel like they don't seem as 
cool. Yeah. I think, I think maybe not having the crowd, you know, back to the crowd point is a big part of it as well. If there had been a crowd losing their minds, maybe we wouldn't be micro-analyzing it to the point that maybe we will. But I don't know. They do feel like they've lost a little something. Definitely. But when was the last time they had a really good match? Yeah, true. And it comes down to that. It's been a long time. And I think there's an element of a rebuild that, that can happen. The good thing is they're good enough for that rebuild to work. And they did it. They, I don't know, like the way they were going to bring them in. So it's like, well, what are they going to want to do? Ultimately, it's the Bucks match is the one that's going to sell. Obviously, they're holding off that until they can do it in front of some sort of a crowd. So you tease that for the long term, but you haven't come in as faces naturally, work their way through some lower card tag teams, starting off with Butcher and Blade. Fine. I'm all right with that. And I think what sells them and what will get them over is really good matches. And then and I have to say, you look at the tag division and you look at the kind of depth of tag teams. Like you pick, obviously, you've got a, you've got a makeshift team as the, the, the tag team champs there anyway. But um, chasing that, you've got what? The Bucks. You've got um, FTR now. You've got Proud and Powerful. You've got Phoenix and Pentagon we kind of forget about as well. And then at the same time, you've got your solid teams like your SCUs um, of the world. And even, you know, Jurassic Express have their kind of moments and the rest of it. And there's lots of lower, lower card teams there. So there's a lot for them to work Kip with. Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, mate. Come on, <laughs> get them an ex-tag Well, they won, didn't they? Um, oh, yeah, nah. Match but, for Benno, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Adam Maxted against them too. Bucky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Get your working boots on, Benno. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I didn't mind the introduction. Obviously, everything lose something without there being any crowd there. But if they're going to get angles going and storylines going, and that this is the what they're going to do, and they're going to have people debut in this period, then for me, it was better than the Matt Hardy, and it was better than the Brody Lee. So frustrating, though, because you think of the amount of debuts that they've had in the last few months, and they've yeah. come Lance Archer this as well. time. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that because you think about those natural crowd reactions and those kind of like repeatable moments that you kind of create with those, like the big moment, the revival turn up, you know, the big moment, the Brody Lee turns up and it's like, ah, it's it's that, you know, it's still a moment. But it's it's not going to have that same repeat value, I think, as say like the example you used, Ben. I would say Scott Hall. Yeah, we yeah. think of how many times we've seen Luger turning up on the first Nitro and yeah. stuff, you know. Jericho. So, yeah, Jericho yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't have quite the same impact, does it? And it's how long you carry on holding people off for, I suppose. Like clearly, there was an agreement with the revival that they were going to get brought in and put on the payroll, like, basically as soon as they got released. That was clearly there for a long time, and it's how much longer you held that off for. Um, yeah, I look forward to the matches. I just hope there are some crowds back, but until that's safe, you know, I don't want to see crowds, full crowds back, but you know what? It's America, and it's the Wild West, literally, uh, at this point in time, so they'll probably be back in a couple of months, won't they? And, you know, while loads of people in the crowd will probably be, you know, contracting the coronavirus at the same time, and there'll be a second spike, we'll have a great time watching the matches and the crowds there, won't we? So, whatever. It's like having a cold, mate. That's all it'll be. That's how Yeah, I know. I know. <sighs> One thing I was going to say about Butcher and the Blade, mm. right? I'm liking the street clothes, but Butcher 
he shouldn't be wearing vans. He looked ridiculous <laughs> in them vans. Get a pair of cowboy boots on. Oh, like, he's, he's in a punk be... vans and he can get away with vans. Uh, but the look he's got on a wrestling ring, right? I was like, oh, I like the clobber. Then I saw the vans and I was like, nah. <laughs> Reminds me of um, a time we were at Progress in Manchester and I was sat, stood next to your mate, Gary Mason, Benno. Oh, yeah. And Eddie Dennis came out as like this top heel and he was like, what the fuck is he wearing? <laughs> what is he top heel? What is he wearing? I was like, yeah. Top man like, pencils. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, yeah, you're right. He just looks like a guy who could be working like HMV or something. Like, <laughs> come on. So get the vans off, and Tony says, to mate, you're in Jacksonville. Like, there's going to be somewhere around here, like a boot barn. Go buy yourself a pair of cowboy boots, or we'll get you a pair online. We'll get you fitted out, and they're on me, because you're going to look like a fucking badass in them cowboy boots. I want you looking more like Barry Windham and less like, I don't know, Tony Hawk. I'm trying to think of skate <laughs> shoes as a comparison. <laughs> uh, I didn't think that was going there. Uh... Any, any other thoughts, thoughts on AEW in general? Mickey Gooch? Anything else from that TV show stand out to you? I thought the uh, the Bucks match at the start of the show was decent. I'm sick That's of them. I'm done with the Matt Hardy stuff. Like, I don't need Matt Hardy in 2020. Like, it's yeah. been... It was fucking four years ago he was on Impact doing, doing the whole fucking broken stuff. I just don't need it anymore. Well, we, we are... I suppose we talked enough about that with the pay-per-view last week, but I did enjoy the match, and I did enjoy the... Yeah, yeah the match was a lot of fun for what it was. It was easy to watch, and all I wanted yeah. out of this was easy to watch, mm. and everything was... Like very palatable. I thought the Cody promo was pretty good as well for the most part. Yeah. Um, Open challenge game. It works. Do the Cena thing. Wrestle different people every week. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I'm, who was he wrestling first? I can't remember. Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy. Yeah, which is bound to be a fun match, and you can put a nice little series long term over a few years together. There, I think you can start here. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential in that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else was on the show. My mind's drawing a blank, to be honest. There, with there, you. there was a couple of squash matches, mm-hmm. and I thought the way they introduced Brian Cage is kind of fine for what it is. I think Taz does and a Taz, decent yeah. job in the mouthpiece. Cage has never had a promo in him, so he does need a kind of manager there for it. He's very. Uh, he's had a few needles in kind of like, He has. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. He's like and a he walking squashed. target, isn't he? He's a walking, he like, is. ship. AW doesn't have a wellness policy. Red flag, really. Like, it, it really does stand oh, out. Yeah. Absolutely. But I've always felt with Brian Cage, I mean, he's obviously he's very spotty as far as the kind of big men go. He can have good matches. It's mm. just there's a lot of inconsistency there. I'm going to be curious to see what Moxley does with him. I think putting him with Taz is generally a right thing, like, for it as well. But it, it's... It's just like, you know, they've they've up the beefy fucker division, haven't they, over the past like couple of months. That's that's where they've put it in. Ever since they've got Wardlow in as well. Big big lads all over the place. So you put Brian Cage into the mix, he's just the latest of the big lads, isn't he? I like survive if he lets you as well as a line. I was like, ah, yeah. oh, nice little reference there. I oh that. yeah. Pa- path of rage. A path of cage rather than the path of rage. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a good sign as well. The TV rating was up overall. I'm not someone who gets tied. I, I see a lot of people who should know better get really tied into like the segment by segment breakdown. And you know, to your point before, JP about Tyson about like what good he brings, and people getting really into over analyzing the fact that his segment dropped fifty thousand viewers. Like, do these people know what Nielsen boxes are? Like, there's like 
the, there's 20,000 so flawed Nielsen it's so oh, flawed I'm glad I got you going JP because it wound me up it's just a complete aside oh. but like there was all this all this breakdown this week about how it lost 50,000 viewers there's only 20,000 boxes in the country they represent 120 million people do you know how many people need to turn over for a difference of 50,000 how many ho- ho- homes not people homes eight homes Eight homes turned the channel, and that looks like fifty thousand people didn't watch anymore. I'm not. I'm a stats person. I enjoy looking at the numbers overall. I think you can broad strokes say it was a successful dynamite because it was up a couple of hundred thousand from what it had been. Mm. But you can't you can't drill down to that level of detail and get lessons from it. Like I don't understand why Melter goes into such detail on it, and well, I kind of do. It it fills newsletter space, but. I, I skip that through that stuff. It doesn't I, I, make I'm any just sense. like, get through this. Like, there's so much of it in the Observer, and oh. I'm just like, skip, skip through that. Makes Down no to the sense. results page. CMLL, not bothered about them. I'll skip <laughs> that as well. Triple A, I'll have a little breeze through. Often skip that as well. And then you get to the raw report, and you know the newsletter's over, and you just you just close it down. Or yeah, in yeah. my case, oh, yeah. you close down the Word document that you're reading it in in work that you've made to look like a Word, an actual Word hey. document. That's my, that's my that's my trick. Uh, but yeah, that really I don't know why that's why me up so much, but I hate that stuff, JP. That whole like quarter-hour breakdown stuff, especially when we're talking numbers as small as we're talking. Well, you can take broad lessons, but you, I don't think we learned anything about time. Other than the fact that the show itself spiked, which says to me there's a post pay per view bump and there's a Tyson bump. Yeah, and actually, the bigger news, if you're talking numbers, is that the pay per view did well. The pay per view did what? Like, is it about looking at around 110,000 to 115? Which suggests, like, you know, that there is a market for it. UFC had this, and, and it's not like AEW going to oversaturate the market with pay per views anyway. So, like, in terms of the numbers and the viewing figures, it's about the general trend, isn't it? Mm. Is it trending upwards? Is it trending downwards? Are they losing people? Inconsistencies happen. Mm. And it's like, you know, and Dave goes on at it, and he's just like, oh, fuck's sakes, Dave. Give it a break, man. But do you, Jesus. Know, what, do you know what Dave never acknowledges that really does my head in? And I think he's doing it because he, I think he's trying to make, like, an ethical stand by just not mentioning it. So, as an example... I managed to watch this show. Mm. I don't live in the US. I don't have access to TNT. It's not on ITV, but I managed to watch it Thursday morning, right? How many other people are in the same position as me watching that show on some streaming site somewhere? Or how many people are torrenting that show, right? You don't know. But that stuff, that side of things is never acknowledged. That audience who watch things online because they don't have access to maybe cable in the US, uh, but then a worldwide audience of wrestling fans here who can't get it. That's just never acknowledged. Or it's and just I think, Fight Plus on Fight, I was going to say, I watch, it on this ex- I watch it on this excellent streaming service, JP. It's uh, similar to what... It, it's, it's like it's a dead good website and it has all this wrestling stuff, fight.tv. That's where I watched it. I don't know about you. <laughs> Oh, is that still on there? Is yeah, it is, yeah. It's fine. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't, didn't even realise, Ben, I'll be honest with you. But you're right, though. Uh, all high, those watch wrestling all websites. All are streaming over. <laughs> yes. Those sites used to have numbers, and, like, I, know, I actually know someone who sends the numbers from that, 
and the numbers from Torrance to Tony Khan, like genuinely about first hand knowledge of this. Uh, it's someone we all know sends in like a, a report each week of well, you know, Tony's been watching wrestling as well, don't you, over the years? Yeah, of course, yeah, he, and he's a numbers <laughs> man, isn't he? So we can use that to to to, to learn something. Yeah, oh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not railing against numbers. I enjoy numbers. I enjoy stats, like JP says. I enjoy trends. That's the stuff you can learn. Um, but yeah, but you probably do learn more from like what's uh, what's peaking on extreme wrestling torrents compared to. Uh, last week but dave just doesn't acknowledge that side of things mm. ever and no. i've always thought that's a flaw in how he approaches look for example i never had sky right as soon as we got broadband in like 2003 the first thing i downloaded raw the second thing i downloaded smackdown the third thing pay-per-views right mm. i realized i had a pretty good internet speed and i could access this stuff uh, i didn't have sky i loved wrestling what the fuck else was I going to do? And I was never considered in these statistics. Yeah, I wasn't putting money in when it came to the pay-per-views and stuff, but I certainly put money in in terms of buying DVDs, which I used to buy a lot of at that point in time. Probably a little bit of merchandise here and there as well, live shows. So, yeah, I, I just feel like that side of things in terms of a global audience and in terms of how many other people you could convert into people who are going to buy tickets for your shows or into pay-per-view buyers just isn't acknowledged and it's all down to tv 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 and that's the thing with the kind of like demographics as well like the 18 to 49 oh, that's the important one yeah I, it is absolutely how many like so 18 to 49 that's quite a you know wide age there right how many people between say 18 and 34 are using non-traditional methods to watch television mm. that isn't ever acknowledged either so like i'm used to watching wrestling on a computer because i did it for years i prefer watching it on a tv as i do everything but that side of things just needs a little bit more acknowledgement if you ask me but i wonder if melts was a journalist for like acknowledging it is basically like a cardinal sin mm. because the more you acknowledge it, the more people might try and access it in that way. I mean, it makes the company less profitable. It maybe downs advertising rates so they can sell uh, during the show as well, which makes it less profitable. I don't know. But yeah, it is a flaw in the game. Yeah, I think Meltzer's just kind of lost in and set in his ways in the way he's always done it. And he, he treats it like it's still the Monday Night Wars. Although, you know, the counterpoint is the biggest money driver AEW have got is TV. So, you know, no matter who's watching it elsewhere, who's actually watching it on TV is probably the most important thing for their bottom line. But I've true, got, I've got faith in Big Tone. I think he's taken into account all these numbers. He's taken into into account the Extreme Wrestling Torrent stats, one of our mates is... Uh, I wonder what his ratio is like over. <laughs> I used to get banned from there like every couple of weeks because I would never keep my ratio up. It's impossible. I don't feel like it's an easy thing to do. I wasn't you the, see uh... JP's. One word, mate. <laughs> Free leech. Yeah, free leech is the way. There we go. <laughs> Not the way, JP. Anyway, we all we all watch things uh, legally on this podcast, obviously. That's how we, yeah, of course we, how we do things. Yeah. <laughs> like, more... like, all, like all the wrestlers do. Of course, of course, of course. No no, no wrestlers ever streamed a football match, JP. It's never happened. I, I once saw Glenn Joseph like someone's tweet where they said something about um, the only way to watch SmackDown is on extreme wrestling torrents, and Glenn Joseph liked it. So. <laughs> Glenn knows. Glenn was in the business of torrenting. <laughs> He's well got one of them dodgy boxes from when those Amazon boxes were uh, were going around everywhere. Everyone, everyone had a dodgy fire stick. My stepdad's still got one. I don't think it even works anymore, but he, he still tries to watch films on it. Uh, anywho, <laughs> anything more on, on dodgy streamer methods? AEW? Oh, anything at all? One, 
very small AEW and actually Mickey relates Gooch. to... Right. Uh, Let's break him down, JP. Let's go. What, the Gooch? Yeah, I feel like we haven't, we haven't dedicated enough time to the Gooch, JP. I feel like you've got a big... It's... I I didn't look like really look into him. Um, because if you type it in, one of the things that comes up is someone else called Mickey Gooch who appeared on Britain's Got Talent. But um... <laughs> I'd like to think that's him. I'm going with that. That is one of my most hated TV shows, that. Absolute so saccharine bollocks. Oh, look at you and like doing some random niche skill that we're all suddenly impressed by. Clap, 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 cheer, 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 bow down to you. Have you got a sob story? Oh, you have as well. Cool. Carry on. Absolute fucking shit. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, did you see on Being the Elite, Marty was in the end of it? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just a comedy sketch, though. I think people are reading too much into it. Or do you think he's Are they in? reading too much into it? I don't know. I'd, I, I would assume, look, they meet up. They're friends. It's not like Vince, where it's like, you know, God forbid that. Kevin Owens ever spends time with his mates, the Young Bucks, and they have to do kind of like you know, um, he probably want to go, probably get Jerry McDevitt in there, fucking drag hey, him out and put a Adam Cole put a cease was, and desist. Adam Cole was at the yeah. after party for the pay per view. He was pictured but behind it, behind Jr. Who'd gone on Wrestle Observer Live that week and talked about how careful he was and how he literally stays in his hotel room, goes to the show, and then goes home. And then there's all these pictures of Jr. with his hands around people and like Adam Cole's in the background. And there's all these untested people. Ah, don't work another guy, J, um, Jr. You know what you're doing. Yeah, amazing that country, isn't it? Yeah, it is fucked in it. It really is on there as well. But yeah, it's, I, I I wondered whether or not they're going to do something with it. Um, but in terms of uh, Mickey uh, Mickey Gooch, as far as I know, he was in Silent the Silent. Uh, what was it uh, Jay and Silent, <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob, Bob reboot? Yeah, and Jericho's uh, in that as well, isn't he? Yes, that's he the connection. Is the I think KKK leader. And he used to go out <laughs> after with, this week. Um, he's an all lives matter. Jericho is. Oh God! Mm. Was he in? I don't. But this guy Mickey Gooch, he used to go out with Rebel Wilson as well. Oh. I think that was it. That was all I found out about him. I could go wrong. What's that? Could be this other Mick. It could be this other Mickey Gooch who's on fucking Britain's Got Talent. For all I know, appears <laughs> to be quite common. Oh, the British Mickey Gooch. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a Mickey Gooch on LinkedIn who will come up as well on the one <laughs> searching on here as well. I'm sure they get mixed yeah, up all the time, JP. Uh, what was it? Yeah, he. What is it? His dark past has been revealed. I'm not really interested. In what that is? Um, <laughs> there we go. Well, it's not like he's guilty of the fucking Snowtown murders, is it? So you know, let's not worry too much about Mickey Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> sorry. Uh, anything else, um, <laughs> Is that where we're ending it? The, it, it? It's not like he's guilty of the Snowtown murderers. I feel like murderers. I think that's a good place to. <laughs> Are we doing any better than that tonight? <laughs> no, leave, leave it there. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything more than from you, Joe? Anything else you want to rant on? Nah, I don't think I've ever been less focused on a podcast, so let's get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes they're the best ones, or the worst ones. You tell us, give, me your feed, give us your feedback. Let us this know. was yeah. shit. <laughs> hey, oh, if you made jokes. it this far, they must, they must have liked it. Uh, JP, any, uh, any plugs for us? I know you wanted to mention a, a project yes. you worked on this last weekend. Yeah, yeah, got a show coming out um, at uh, the end of this week. We've got the uh, February match of the month. Uh, coming out so I'm following in your shoes so I did my homework 
Um, cracking time. Couple of fellas banging on about Waterford and being dads at the beginning. That I think only you've heard, Benno. Yes. From that. Um, it gets niche, doesn't it? It gets very niche. Um, yeah. But it was really good fun. Um, really enjoyed it. There was some really good stuff on this month. So mm. obviously have a listen to that. Um, that'll be out towards the end of the week as well. And if it's all right, I'm going to put the link up for what I mentioned earlier on, um, just about sort of the links to reading material if you're interested in terms of reading about sort of a lot of the events as well. Places where you can donate because there are lots of little funds that they're doing at the minute. They're going towards sort of a lot of minority businesses that have like obviously had their like the buildings themselves have been trashed like um, after the rights. So it's helping on that front. But it's also helping in terms of lawyers for people who are being unduly arrested, all that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, going to put a link on the show description for that. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll uh, make sure that's in there. And yeah, like you said, uh, Match of the Month with James, you will be out. I think we'll be putting that on the feed Thursday night. So uh, people should mm-hmm. look out for that uh, as well. Other than that, I did uh, BWE last week. We did a, a mixtape uh, edition of it, looking at back at some some retro matches. Looked at uh, an emo head, Zack Sabre Jr. against Brian Danielson in a social club. That was a lot of fun. We did a bit of a PCW love in, which I'm sure you guys appreciated as well. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime I put the flutter over, it's a good time. The Joe Lemon Award, I thought, was good as well. <laughs> that was good. I, I appreciated that. Oh, James, you did a great job. So, yeah, if you want to know what we're talking about there, check out the British Wrestling Experience uh, from Post Wrestling last uh, Friday. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, look out for Jamesy Thursday night and look out for us next week. We'll see you again soon. Bye. See ya.